On this week's show, we're talking about the brand new trailer for Mank, Jared Leto returning as Joker, and we have an interview featuring Adam Brody and the director of The Kid Detective, a movie that we cannot recommend enough, and I'm on the show, filling in for Jake, so stay tuned. Hello, Blunders, and welcome, welcome to episode number 140 of Real Blend, a podcast that's now sponsored by Die Hard Batteries. In this week's episode, we're going to react to the Mank trailer, the full Mank trailer. We are going to give our reviews of Borat, subsequent movie film, Uh, and we have Adam Brody and director Evan Morgan, who are going to be joining us to talk about their outstanding film, The Kid Detective, uh, which you guys might have seen us tweeting on social media uh, by us, I mean, first off, myself. I'm Sean O'Connell, the managing editor here at Cinema Blend, and joined, as always, by Kevin McCarthy of Fox 5. Hi, Kev. How are you? Hi, Sean. It's good to talk to you. And by the way, we are officially doing an episode after a bunch of news is broken. Yes. <laughs> Thank news. you. I can't, I can't tell you guys how excited Gabe is. Gabe is sitting in for Jake this week. Hi, Gabe. How I'm are here. You? I'm here. I'm on video. I'm live in person. Yes, because uh, Jake is taking a well-deserved vacation. And uh, one of the jokes in the, the text chain is constantly how <laughs> as soon as we record, uh, all the biggest news of the week tends to hit. And yet this week we are jam-packed with outstanding uh, stories yeah. to get to and really exciting things, including we can't even get to the fact that the Fast and the Furious franchise is ending. So go to Cinema Blend and read about the fact that uh, Fast and Furious is over. Uh, housekeeping, if you're watching us on YouTube, hello, nice to see you guys. Uh, thank you very much for tuning in. If you enjoy watching the show, make sure you hit like and subscribe. That way you can tune in every single time that we have it. If you're listening to us, go over to the podcast, uh, go over to the YouTube channel and give us a subscription. All of that information is in the show notes. Gabe is including that right there. Um, we're going to jump right to the weekly poll because we have so much stuff going on that we really don't have any time to spare for this week's episode. And we want to get you to that Kid Detective interview because those two guys were awesome and that movie's great. But the weekly poll uh, was called What's Your F- Who's Your Favorite Spider-Man? And we gave you three, no, four choices. We gave you four. We didn't even give you another because there aren't that many Spider-Men to choose from. We went with Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, Tom Holland, and Shameik Moore, uh, who voiced Miles Morales in the Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse animated feature. Gabe, because you are uh, oh not you very t- uh, often participating in uh-huh. the weekly poll. Oh, but you saw the results. You did this last time I came in. <laughs> I put this together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have not seen the results. Okay, by Kevin, the way. let's go over to Kevin then. Which of the four, <clears throat> Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield? Tom Holland or Shameik Moore, do you think won the poll for who's your favorite Spider-Man? Okay, so one, the reason we did this poll, obviously, is because of all the Spider-Man news that had been out there. And um, there's been a lot of uh, news stories about the, you know, the rejoining of Garfield and and obviously and uh, and uh, McGuire and obviously with Holland. So I, I thought this was a cool idea for a poll. I think Tom Holland would no question crush this poll only because I think he is the best Spider-Man. And I think that from an MCU standpoint, people, he is generally, generally loved by everybody. I, I don't know I that so. most people, I don't know that I've met anybody who doesn't like Tom Holland as Spider-Man. You'll um, hear people argue. They'll say like, well, Andrew was great as Spider-Man and right. uh, Toby was great as Peter Parker, but Tom Holland gets both of them. Correct. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's kind of how I always felt about like, Batman like with Bale I always felt Bale was a great Bruce Wayne I didn't necessarily love his Batman that's why mm-hmm. when I saw Ben Affleck play Bat- Batman for the first time it was the perfect combination of both Bruce Wayne and and uh, and Batman so I'm gonna say Holland won the poll I'm gonna say that Garfield is a close second okay okay 
Uh, well, Garfield crushed. What? 56, 56 point. No, I'm, no, sorry, no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Tom Holland crushed. Okay. Okay. 56.5. Toby came in second. 28.6. And then Andrew only got nine and Shamit got five. Okay, so the reason why I believe it happened like that is Maguire did have better films. So it's I guess that makes nostalgia. sense. Yeah, yeah I mean, the Raimi films. First Spidey, I mean, and Sean, you, I know you disagree with me. Actually, since Gabe's on I today, I want to I I get Gabe's sure. perspective because yeah. I am obsessed with Spider-Man 2. Everyone, I, I think Doc, okay. Doc Ock, I love Alfred Molina. I think mm-hmm. Spider-Man 2 is one of my favorite Spider-Man films next to Far From Home and Homecoming. Uh, Sean, as a Spider-Man fan, you don't necessarily, you don't love that film. I have but issues you, with it. It's right. still great, but I have issues with it. And the key difference here is that Sean grew up a massive Spider-Man fan. I am sure. a Spider-Man fan from a cinema standpoint. Sean is right. a Spider-Man fan from a comic book standpoint. So Gabe, is Spider-Man 2, am I crazy thinking that's one of the best Spider-Man movies? I love it, but I was, uh, when those came out, I was like at the right age. I was like a kid who was just like falling in love with superhero movies in general. So I have a bit of, there's a big grain of salt in that I haven't seen it in years. So if I watched yeah. it now, maybe I'd have a bit of a critical eye to it. I've watched, rewatched some scenes. Yeah, yeah, I like you too. It's so I, good. I will, but I do know that I love Alfred Molina, and I can I can still point to like big set pieces. Um, that no, that I, big know. circle thing in the middle of the water. I'll never yeah. forget. Like that that big fight scene is that scene iconic is awesome. moments that yeah, yeah. That still stand out. So I mean, the train sequence is fun. I thought too. for the like, poll, really a couple well a couple thoughts. You had mentioned one thing. I wonder if Tom Holland uh, uh, works in both of the sides of the coin of Spider Man and. Uh, uh, Peter Parker, Peter Parker because mm. he's so young, like because mm. he looks like a kid in high school. I always felt like he Toby was just so much easier old to me. Yeah, always. Mm. Um, but I was surprised that Shamik Moore only got 5% because Spider-Verse connected so well with the audience. Right. I thought yeah. that was really surprising. I, I think Shamik Moore probably got less because he's physically not on screen yeah. and you don't really think of Shamik Moore. I mean, the character, mm. I mean, listen, the Into the Spider-Verse film was brilliant. We all loved it. Yeah. His performance in particular is fantastic. Right. In it. But you yeah. just don't think of Shamik really Moore good. probably because you don't physically see his face. Yeah. But to your point about Tom Holland, Gabe, I think the, the moment that that happened for fans was Civil War because there was no... We had never seen, in my opinion, a very kid-like Spider-Man. I had just never seen anybody have that heart and soul. And that's kind of, you know, if you think about the Avengers Infinity War ending when when Spidey gets dusted, that scene only works because of the kid charm that that Tom Holland brought to the role. I don't think Maguire or Garfield's Spider-Man would have earned that type of arc because they, right. I, I, I never really considered them kids. If that makes yeah, sense. Like they right. were always like, it was, it's strange Holland. And again, this is coming from somebody who's did not read the comics growing up, but I just have a general sense of who Spider-Man is. Holland just fits the description of who I think Spider-Man yeah. is. Well, That's and in both works. instances, they very quickly rushed him out of high school. Uh, yeah. Like Andrew Garfield graduates at the beginning of amazing Spider-Man two. So he has essentially one movie as a high school kid. Toby's working for the Daily Bugle, like almost the minute. I think he's right. in high school in the first one, but then yeah. he's he's moved on very quickly. Uh, to they me, lean into the youth for sure. In the to Marvel me, Superman. Andrew Garfield hits more of a he's more of a charming Peter Parker. Toby Maguire mm-hmm. is more of an average Joe Peter Parker, but Tom Holland is the like youthful innocence. Dude, Peter Parker. wait till they get Tom Holland to deal with a loss. Like every Spider Man has to have a significant emotional loss. And Holland's a good actor. So well, I we really got, we got want to see. Man. We got Iron Man. He was good with that. 
no, he was good with it, but yeah, I mean, like, yeah. I mean, like something that hits it yeah. like home that really resonates. Yeah. I'll be, I'll be and looking forward. I don't to know that like I want to see that. Sean. I love the characters. <laughs> I want to see him I, suffer. I want to give a shout out, by the way, to Tom Holland because I, I, I think that over these years, with the Spider-Man characters become obviously his what everyone knows him for. But you go back to like the kid is one of the greatest dramatic actors working today. The impossible, I mean, the, the impossible sure. is brilliant. If you haven't seen the impossible, it's directed by one of Sean's favorite filmmakers, J. A. Bayona. Uh, Bayona, yeah, Bayona. That's that right? Mm-hmm. Um, who did uh, Jurassic, uh, the second Jurassic? Okay, but uh, don't say that's what he did because that's my, <laughs> that's the worst movie he made. I'm only mentioning that because people would know. <laughs> people that, should but... see the Orphanage and they should see the Impossible, which are two of his best films, and then of course a Monster Calls, which that's is the one. Fantastic! Yeah. Oh my god, incredible! But but to give Tom Holland credit, I recently we all recently discussed The Devil all the time, which yeah. is this new Netflix film with him and Robert Pattinson, which I think was a really risky move for him uh, in a good way because when you're when you're Tom Holland, when you're MCU Spidey, to take yeah. on a role that dark mm-hmm. and I, you know i sometimes wonder like and, and i give him a lot of credit for it because he could have been like you know what i don't know if my fans my young fans are ready sure. to see me dive that deep and that dark especially with how dis- disturbing that film a- ends up becoming what i found it really weird when that film was released um the weekend it came out when he was instagramming to his fans he has like you know over almost 30 or 40 million instagram followers wow. think about how young his fan base is yeah so you have like 12 13 14 15 year old kids who are like what's the devil all the time oh i'll pop on netflix oh, <laughs> that <no>. is pretty, <laughs> kind of interesting. You see, i yeah. mean you have to think about that from a uh from a perspective of, of it's of like um yeah. daniel radcliffe but Radcliffe um, did it after his Harry Potter run. Right, after, right. and he did it like he kind of he waited a long time, and then he sort of like gradually did it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It'd be like, like if he recommended Swiss Army Man in between like Harry Potter <laughs> four right. and five. It's, it's almost like Holland was like, you know what? I'm gonna rip the Band-Aid off now. I'm gonna yeah. show you that I am a, a serious dramatic actor. I'm more than Spider-Man, but right. I have to give him credit for taking a risk Dude, like that. Wait till Cherry comes around. Right. Cherry. And like, that's another great example. A 20 million dollar Russo Brothers film based on a book. Uh, it's going to be raw. It sounds like it's very raw, very intense. I love that the Russos are going back to low budget. I, I just I just really think Tom Holland's one of the best actors working today. I think he's yeah. bigger and better than just Spider-Man. We're not going to get Cherry till next year, though, right? April. Oh, wait, man. Wait, Dang is it, it April or February? No, it's February. Someone <sighs> double check that. Yeah. Here, here's what. I know they pushed it back. I think you're right. It's February. I think. I that's think right. what they did was they they moved it to February so that it could still compete within this year's Oscars. Okay. 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 I believe that makes sense. All right. Um, speaking of movies that go dark in a way that you don't expect them to, The Kid Detective. Uh, honestly, the show cannot recommend this enough. We've all now had a chance to see it. Um, it's one of those films that sounded intriguing uh, at the premise, but again, oh Kevin, I swear I was talking to a friend of mine. And I said, dude, you got to check out this movie called Kid Detective. He was like, ew, gross. What is that? Like Spy Kids? Yeah. And I was like, no, no, it's not. It's the title I, is really a hang I told for you it. guys that was going to be a thing. So it stars Adam Brody as a one time uh, popular kid detective, an Encyclopedia Brown type character uh, who's now grown. And it's a film noir gumshoe detective movie in the lines of uh, we were using Ryan Johnson's brick. Where the nice guys, uh, as as talking about Chinatown, even like it's not that far off to yeah. say that this is where this movie aspires to be, and so we got a chance to sit down with Adam Brody, uh, the star of it, and his director Evan Morgan to talk about um, where the idea came from and all the different places that they took it. 
So without further ado, uh, the interview with the cast uh, and crew of The Kid Detective here on Roblox. We love it so much, dude. We've been texting each other nonstop uh, since watching it. And it's just, it's everything that we were needing right now. It's, (laughs) we're all huge gumshoe fans and we just love it. So I I have to, I got to start right here. I'm sure it's super obvious. I'm sorry if you've been hit with this before, but the influence of the Encyclopedia Brown stories and books and, and who was the fan of those, that book and that character in that world? Was it both of you guys? Was it... Mr. Morgan, was it you? Where did it come from? How did that influence it? Uh, it's funny. I don't think it was really either of us. I know Adam. I don't even it's know. Really, wasn't me. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you didn't even know who Encyclopedia Brown was. I don't. Think Not was. really. I mean, I, you know, you get the archetype and you get the idea, but Scooby Doo is as close as I ever got. Uh, when I was a kid, like I don't know when the Encyclopedia Brown books were published. They weren't like so much a part of my childhood. I. Um, used to read these books by this guy, uh, Eric Wilson, who's like a Canadian mystery writer. And he used to do like detective stories. Those were my equivalent. And, uh, and I think I maybe read like a Hardy Boy or two. I don't know. But uh, I just really yeah. liked the idea of this character. And so um, after like I committed to write the script, um, I bought all of the Encyclopedia Browns and like <laughs> read them all. And, uh, oh my God. and just, yeah, just sponged it all in. And like it is more than any of the other like kid detective, you know, iconic kid detectives, Encyclopedia Brown for sure was the inspiration in terms of like the age of the kid detective, the backdrop of the town, the types of mysteries that he's solving. Right down to the police chief, like having to rely on him kind of thing. And almost right. being like, yeah. how embarrassing yeah. would it be if I brought you in to help with this murder case? <laughs> well, yeah. My original dream, I would have loved for this to have been like an actual Encyclopedia Brown movie. Where, like, you know, he's in his early 30s and uh, and we actually got to use the name. But uh, it, it was, I mean, this was a spec script. And it really just began with me and Adam like having a conversation and me kind of pitching the idea to him. Um, my and- college band, I kid you not, was named Bugs Meanie. Um, and it was really just us sitting around trying to brainstorm things from our childhood. And my friend was like, who was the villain from the Encyclopedia Brown books? And I was like, oh, his name was Bugs Meanie. And as soon as we said it out loud, it stuck. And so when I'm watching Adam get his ass beat outside of a bar, I was like, I feel... I feel a little bit bad about this. <laughs> yeah, that name is great. I, I that, that made it a big impression on me too when I was reading that like, this is gonna be the town bully. He's like always the suspect and they give him the last name Meanie. It's, it's so in your face, it's so beautiful. And I kind of was hoping to recreate something like that with like the world in our film. You did. You know, uh, we, we love this film. We've been texting about it on our text chain for our podcast, and we just love the performances, the style of it, the way it's shot, the the score is incredible. Um, I'm interested, this is something I just, I've just this might be a strange thing to bring up, but the shoes, uh, the, the Chuck Taylors that your character wear, wears, the, it's it's a pretty prominent aspect to who he is. And I know that's got kind of a weird thing to notice, but I I personally love Chuck Taylors. So I noticed them specifically, but it kind of reminded me a little bit of giving him like a kid's heart a little bit like i was just curious for each of you what your perspective is on something as minor as a shoe choice i mean i feel like the chuck taylors really do something important to the character i think it's it's huge and in fact it's funny because we were um evan always had an idea what he would look like but in the script like maybe he's got his hat too i always thought that hat might be a little tricky to pull off but a fedora but (laughs) you know we, we we had tried to make this movie and been talking about this movie for like 
six, seven years. And for four of them, literally trying to get it financed with a completed script. And then it wasn't until like we were going to shoot in like two weeks. We're like, well, what does he look like? <laughs> what the fuck is he going to wear? And, and, and um, you know, and all of a sudden you're faced with like, you're, you're filming really soon. The costume, you just hired a customer, you have no budget. And so, okay, okay. Um, and it was a scramble. And I know that it was, you know, we were very much, there was either like he could wear, so the look was very important. It's iconic. Yeah. It's an iconic character. It's an iconic archetype. And the look was a very, very, very important. And, um, you know, we went back and forth a lot. Evan always had the idea of the tweed jacket. I think we kind of came up with the pen. He's got like <laughs> a, a pen in his pocket. And then yeah. other than that, um, I mean, I was for a minute, I was pitching. I'm like, I don't know. Is he like, does he have a full suit? Is he look like, is he like um, Gene Hackman in the conversation? I mean, is mm. it a raincoat? Like, ah. Uh, yeah, and, Columbo, um, a Columbo yeah, look. <laughs> yeah, is, it, is that too much? But the Converse was an easy choice because A, they're easy to get and to clear, but also um, mm. they give you that 50s, they transport you right to the 50s, right to boyhood, right to boyhood Americana, stand by me. It's a classic look. They look yeah. great too. They're just very cinematic shoes. And then uh, the, the, the last piece of the puzzle that Evan and I did, and it was the, in some ways the most important for the look, was um, we made a decision last moment about the bruising and because um, he gets beat up in the middle and how long is that going to last? You know, he's going to wake up with it, but we could kind of have it fade kind of and make, make it between then and his first case, the, the first act that could be a couple weeks or we could just kind of roll right into it. And we decided somewhat in a nod to Chinatown, but even more so just in a nod to reality and also because the look is great to keep that on the whole time yeah. And that was invaluable. I mean, we were both really happy. We finally did that. And that felt like, oh, that completes the look. That's the character. Yeah, there's something just beautiful about hearing the score, that jazz almost score, watching him just walk around. Like, I, I just, I, I, I want to see him just walk around and, and do more cases. I, I would watch an anthology series of this. It'd be so yeah. cool. I just can't think of, I can't think of a detective movie that I've loved where the main protagonist is not beat up to a certain extent. Too. Yeah, 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 sure. It's such an important yeah. element of it. It is. 100%. It is. We, 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 get, we dispense with it in the first three minutes of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you go into a project like this, you hear the concept, you hear like the kid detective, you assume it's going to be uh, comedic and a bit of a spoof. What I want to give you guys the most credit for is that you have an actual case, like yeah. with significant layers and the movie could go one way or the other. I'm curious um, when you get to the point writing the script where you're like, okay, but we need like a legitimate case that has, you know, multiple suspicious characters and clues that can legitimately follow uh, to keep the audience hooked. Where did the, where did the idea of the actual case come from? Well, the case came uh, inconveniently later than like, than the character for me. Like I, I had the idea for the character and that really got me excited. And I, I think I drafted like the first act of the movie pretty quickly, like within a, like a, a week or two weeks or something like that and had it to share with Adam pretty quickly. Um, just cause I got really excited about the character and like imagining, you know, this uh, formerly celebrated kid detective, you know, now he's in his early mid thirties mm -hmm. and nobody cares anymore. No one's impressed. Like there was a lot to juice out of that instantly in terms of his sure. relationship with the town and the way that the town has changed. His parents. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, uh, with respect to the actual crime story, I was intimidated because um, not only had I not written one before, but I'm, I'm also not a junkie for it. I also hadn't read many. I hadn't, you know, like gone and uh, it, it, it was not a genre that I was ever particularly like, you know, 
interested in more than other genres. Um, and so the first thing I did was really just to try and consume as much as I could in terms of looking at older films and reading like classic books. The Raymond Chandler books were my favorite. They're insanely funny. Um, like just like laugh out loud funny. Are they? Some of the crazy. On yeah, purpose? Crazy. On purpose. Yeah. Like oh. here's a little thing. Like there's, I remember a passage where I think it's in the big sleep and, uh, He's saying, she was giving me a look I could feel in my hip pocket. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's perfect. <laughs> That's yeah. just a little nugget. But, like, there's so much funnier stuff. Uh, and, um, uh, I, and, and for because I was consuming that, I was thinking originally, oh, maybe this character is invited out of his small town and, like, goes to Los Angeles and has to solve, like, a high-stakes murder investigation with, like, a movie star or something like that. You know, trying to push it into the most classic place possible. And I remember, like, right after Adam had reviewed the first act, we were on the phone talking about it. And he was just like, no, you know what? I think, like, you should keep it in the town. Like, that's where the world is. Yeah. You know, that that's the movie. And, uh, and so then I kind of threw out everything that I had, like, all the sort of speculative plot notes that I'd written. I threw them away and uh, tried to come up with something that, I, that, that could feel like a large-scale mystery but set in this small community. Mm-hmm. It's so funny. Oh, I, I actually awesome. want to go to Hepburns now. Like, I mean, that's how <laughs> yeah, like yeah. ingrained this world was. Um, this is, I mean, and going off what Sean said real quick, I just want to tell you, I mean, like, the tone is kind of what made this movie great, in my opinion. It was like this sharp-edged tone where you had goofy elements, but you had actual stakes, and I think that's kind of where it, where it really combines, in my personal opinion. Um, one of the things I love about this film is a line in the film, Adam, that you say where you say it's difficult to accept the difference between who you are in your head and who you are to the world. And I, that just kind of like struck me because I feel like we all deal with that balance. And, and Adam, for you specifically, you're an actor. So everyone in the world has watched your work and they have a certain perception of who you are based on the work you've done. And then you have the perception of who you are, obviously, as the person you are. Can you talk about that, that line and specifically whether or not like you have that personal battle sometimes where you think about how people perceive me versus how I see the world? Yeah, I mean, you know, <clears throat> it, yeah, I think it's such a universal concept, as, as, as you said, that it struck you that, you know, um, and, and also just the kind of whoever you are and, and whatever happens in your life, the humble, the, the humbling nature of getting older and hmm. becoming an adult. And, um, um, you know, I'm sure for everyone, there's dreams unfulfilled. And, uh, uh, and for me, you know, yeah, I had success in my early 20s. And while I never felt hindered by that only helped. It only gave me a world of opportunity. I still had to grapple with the reality that like, I think I had more opportunity at 23 than 33, you know, <laughs> and, 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 um, <laughs> follow that. Not that I ever thought my best days were behind me. I never did, nor do I now, but, um, but you know, that's a humbling experience. And, um, and so, yeah, I think it's, I think it's such a universal idea though, that everyone can relate in a way. hundred percent. There's the challenge in this film that I definitely want you guys to discuss in that um, it gets very serious and it, it gets very dark. It treats um, the entire universe that you've created really seriously, but you're not afraid to lean into um, some surreal stuff to, to find laughs. Uh, the one sequence in particular, and I don't want to give too much of it away, but it's it's um, your character hiding in the closet for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. I was just 
laughing out loud the more it went. Um, so, with, you know, again, without spoilers, can you just talk about, like, your approach to the comedic elements of this so that they didn't, like, overwhelm the tone or tip it one way in the other direction? And if you could talk about that sequence without sort of giving it away, like, how long did you know to stay in it and where you could allow the character to go? Because it's it's really brilliant. Yeah, his facial, your Adam's facial expressions are perfect as he's like looking at the computer. Like, oh God, come on! <laughs> it's so good. It's incredible closet acting. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen closet acting that's as, no, as great. No, no, not, not since Brad Pitt and Burn After Reading has there not oh, been yeah, a closet yeah, performance yeah. that good. <laughs> well, I would have gone Halloween, little Jamie Lee Curtis. That's maybe. a good one. That's a good one. Our uh, producer Will actually turned to me like in late one of the late, late, late stages of editing. It was just like. Man, Adam's really good in this closet sequence. <laughs> he was just really struck by it specifically. Um, uh, but yeah, as far as like the humor, I think like, uh, okay, so because the story like um, begins, you know, let's skip the first five minutes. It begins in the, in the past, in the flashback sequence. And we're presented with a town that we recognize. We know it from Encyclopedia Brown, Nancy Drew, like, you know, 60s sitcoms or 50s sitcoms or whatever. Um, this kind of like perfect utopic, like suburban setting. And um, that's allowed to be super exaggerated. Uh, by the time we wake up with him in the present, we've just kind of like, we've turned it upside down in a way. It's, uh, it's the darker version. It's like the shadow version of that community. What happened to that community after it lost its innocence? And, um, it's still just as idiosyncratic, like that's built into the fabric already. And so people understand what is, you know, uh, the, you know, that the rules of this universe are not the rules of our universe, but there's still a limit to what we can and can't get away with. And I think like really the trick was just keeping it within that space where, you know, we, we don't do anything super outrageous. He doesn't fall off a building and then like dust mm. himself off. Like, mm. you know, <laughs> it, it, it's all proportionate to the, uh, sort of the world that was suggested in the first 10 minutes of the movie. You know, what I love about this film as I watched it was the sequence earlier on where we see Adam, your character's younger kid, he's watching the movies with his parents. He's like, oh, that's the bad guy. That, that, that's the twist coming up at the end. That was the moment for me as an audience member where I locked in and I became the detective in as an audience member watching your film. I'm like, I wonder if I can pick out who the bad guy is right, or right. figure out where the twist is coming. And I, I think like that was a really immersive tool that just kind of hit me in, in a, as an audience member. Um, I, I don't know if this is a loaded question to ask, but are, do each of you know a film that you saw in your life where you saw a twist coming that like has a or a gigantic twist? People talk about like, oh, I didn't see that coming. Is there a one that you saw coming that you remember? like a certain twist that you can go, oh, I saw that one coming, like The Sixth Sense or something like that. Mm. Spider-Man Homecoming. Oh, oh did really? you really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because well, 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 of the, the picture at the beginning that Michael Keaton has at the uh, construction site. Oh, so you knew that he was going to be the father? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that that was one of the biggest uh, reveals. I did I, not I, see that. I was that. surprised. I didn't that see that. That caught me off guard. <laughs> guard. Nice job. Well done. That's a good one. Like, anybody who says they saw Sixth Sense coming is not telling the truth. There's no, no way. Adam, do you have no, one? I didn't know. I can't think of any. I can think of some great twists, but none that I... What are some of your favorite twists? Well, I mean, I just, all right, just a great twist. I mean... Obviously, Usual Suspects is like everyone talks about that. Honestly, the What Lies Beneath was very impactful. Yes. That's a great one. That was a big, that was, that was like, that was that whole movie was the Twitter. And, um, yeah, uh, certainly The Sixth Sense is like maybe the most, that, you know, up there for all time fit, famous twists. And uh, gosh, are there any more? I guess Primal Fear 
That's a oh, huge one. Yeah. You know, Dude, when Ed Edward Norton. Norton. Oh, yeah, yeah, my yeah, God. Yeah. We're, by the way, we're yeah. ruining all these movies for people who haven't. They could also be most famous example I can guarantee people will not figure out what's going on in your movie. <laughs> no, because I didn't. I had no. That was that. Oh, my God. That scene was amazing. But we'll, yeah, yeah. we'll digress on that later. That yeah, yeah. so good. Um, I have to ask about elements that you include in the story uh, that don't pan out and don't feel like they're, you know, they're going anywhere. You listen to them and you assume that they're like things like the red shoe gang, some recurring gag about demon worshipers. <laughs> like <laughs> where are all these things? Are they just ingredients peppered in to, to add color to his? Let me, let me, add, let me just add before it jumps into, there's a whole super funny sequence. That's a good 10 minutes. That's cut out. That also leads nowhere. But <laughs> I, the way, when I wake up in the trap in the dumpster, there's oh, a whole dude. other. There's a whole other way I got there. That's very elaborate. And um, can you tell yeah. us since it's not in the movie? Because like, because the way you walk out of that door and <laughs> sure, wait for sure. it to close uh, makes me made me so happy. It was a great scene. I, I, I will tell you, I'll do it super fast. So, <laughs> in the scene where I meet the parents of the boy who was killed, yeah. there's another. They have their niece is staying with them. She's cut out of that scene, but she comes in and serves like brings us drinks. And she's staying. She lives in the city. I'm like, oh, my band has a show there this week. Anyways, later on, she's I'm out of my age. Way. It's important to yes, uh, yes, yes. Mind. She's okay. of age. Yeah. Okay, fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. An adult, an adult, an adult niece. Okay. Um, I am. Um, I'm playing the show. I play. There's like a concert. You know, just a song. But I'm. You're playing. in a band. You're in a band. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, um, I'm playing the show. Uh, Remember, he plays uh, drums with that band. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. That's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. So I'm playing drums on stage with the band, and this no one's really paying attention. But in this club, her and her friends come in. We say hi. I talk at the bar for a bit with them. We go back to their place. We're partying. I'm doing ego bo- boosters, and I'm kind of I'm getting like really high. I go outside <laughs> to the balcony. I have a depressed moment. Moment, I kind of a reflective moment. We start kissing, cuts to the morning, and I'm asleep, but I'm I'm just like I OD'd or something. I'm, I'm they can't wake me. They all wake up. There's three of them. They're all speaking Chinese, and they can't wake me up. And they think I'm dead, and they're slapping me. I'm naked. They're slapping me. They can't get me up. So they carry me up, pick me up naked, and they come out and they're in their like lingerie. And they carry me down the hallway to the garbage chute and slide me in the garbage chute. <laughs> <laughs> and that's actually the story of how I ended up. Um, 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 Was that filmed? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, really, it's really funny. I mean, it, like, it works. It's just that it seemed, and Evan can illuminate this more than I can, but it just seemed like to take another 10 minutes that didn't lead you to the story at all was a bridge too far in the, oh. tension, in the, in the, in the propulsion of the story. But it really worked on its own. It's it's one of the funnier. Unfortunately, it might be the funniest sequence in the movie. <laughs> it, is, it is the funniest sequence, yeah, in the movie. And it's not in the movie. Does that kill you to remove it? Does that hurt? Yeah. How it, do you? Yeah. How do you it took deal a while with that? for me to realize that, that that's what we had to do? And but, I'll you know, tell you, our producer will. I mean, this guy from the beginning, from the first moment before he even like you know d- determined to work with them, he was like, you gotta cut that sequence in the city. I was like, you're crazy, man. Like everyone who reads the script thinks that that's <laughs> the best sequence. That's the one that they that they were the most excited about. Yeah. At every turn, he's like, oh, we're really, we, we were the budget's super, super tight. Like be great if we could eliminate a day. Like maybe he doesn't have to go to the city and do all this stuff. And I was like, no way. <laughs> like this from my cold dead hands will you be like yeah. uh, prying this away from me. But then uh, ultimately Ultimately, I came around and it's exactly what Adam said, where it's like the structure of the movie, we are presenting often people with things like dangling things in front of them that seem like they're going to be lucrative, like seem like they're going to be legitimate leads. And then 
it turns into, you know, nothing. Were the um, Red Shoe Gang ever part of it? Did we ever get to? There was a time in, when I was writing, when I was thinking like maybe there would be a whole other section where like the Red Shoe Gang kind of retaliates <laughs> because Adam is like prying into their business and throw oh. him out of a window. So there actually was a version where he does fall off a building. And, uh, uh, but no, like it didn't, it didn't last long. And uh, I think um, uh, it, it was just sort of testing the strands a little bit on, uh, you know, well, I would have loved, I honestly, I would have loved to, to make this movie like two and a half hours, but it, it just wasn't going to work. And um, well, Evan, you uh, could so always release things, those... the Morgan cut. You could release the Morgan cut. Hey. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will say like, the shorter version is the better version. Like I, I, I come yeah. to terms oh, the with version's tremendous. Yeah, yeah. The version's tremendous. But Can't uh, wrap us up. Okay, you want to, you want to get oh, out on yeah, the Morgan? Like, I forget where I was heading with this. Uh, it was, uh, Oh, okay. You were asking, yeah, about the little, the things that were, uh, not followed up on by the movie. And I think like with respect to the demon worshiper, you know, all that stuff, it's really just a gain. It's, it's what does this community look like 20 years after this kid gets abducted? How, you know, uh, the whimsy has been sucked out of this place. And now these kids who used to be like happily like sipping their soda pops are sacrificing cats, you know, like that's, that's really what it's there for is to create a sense of, of the landscape. And, uh, and so, yeah. And it, if this had been a series, I'm sure we would have delved into all that stuff and it would have been fun. But, you know, at one point they served breakfast for dinner and dinner for breakfast. That's oh, right. I, I love yeah. that line. Yeah. <laughs> that line cracked me up. I'm a sucker for diner shots. What was it called? Like Joe's or whatever it was? Like just like the shot outside of the diner. Yeah. What I can't remember the name off Oaks. the top of my head. Oaks. Oaks. Yeah. yeah. Oaks. Yeah. Um, you know, Adam, this is a, a different direction, but my wife and I are obsessed with Jennifer's body. Um, and uh, my wife, right before, before I walked down here just now, she's like, make sure you tell Adam Brody how much we love that film. And I can't, I, I mean, I just, I mean, I, it came out in 2009. I know it's an older movie, but yeah. what, what, what was your experience with that film? I, I just love you in that movie. And I think it's Thanks. a very great film. Yeah. I, you know, I haven't revisited it in years, but um, thrilled to do it. Loved doing it at the time. My, my experience was, and I knew some of the people involved previously had a great time doing it saw an early cut and was like, holy shit, this movie's amazing. And like, yeah. it looks incredible. I just saw Karin Kusama too. I was like, it looks iconic. And then, and then I saw a little bit later the marketing materials and I was like, oh, you don't get it at all. And, you know, I mean, imagine, imagine, there's a million ways I could rip up the marketing materials, but just imagine a world where, where like Diablo Cody wins a fucking Oscar for screenplay the year before. Like she's kind of a household name in in film circles. Hundred percent. Now famous, you have this like feminist leaning movie, and they think it's not relevant to mention her at all. Let's keep her. No, let's bury that name. And it's very much a. It's not like she got hired to write this thing. Like that's what she wanted to write next and did. And it's very much her voice. And to go like, no, 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 no. This isn't for fans of Juno. This isn't for fans of Diablo Cody. This is for fucking fans of transformers and michael bayheads and like michael you know and and then did a shitty job in that regard too but anyways that's just one example of like you know and so that said you know i'm happy it's gotten this huge sort of revival in the last year or two and maybe somewhere yeah. it's better you know like this is cool too i'm happy it's it certainly has found its audience now and in some ways 
that's even cooler. So it's an uh, awesome movie. I want to yeah. get you guys out of here on this one before we run out of time. Um, the one of the talking points for this film is how, just how long you guys workshopped it and how long you stayed with the concept. That seems really out of the ordinary. Is that is that something totally different? Like something unusual to to have to stay with a project that long to develop it that long? I hope. I mean, this, yeah. this took an eternity. It's true. And, uh, um, you know, had I known how long it would take, well, I mean, I, I'm glad I didn't. <laughs> but now that we're here, it's like, well, it's, it's all paid off. Like, you know, we ended up getting to make this movie exactly the way we wanted. We, we didn't have to make any concessions regarding like the mm-hmm. script or, um, the cast. uh, you know, or, or really anything like, mm-hmm. uh, the cast that, that we assembled was just note perfect and the crew was unreal. Like it, it couldn't have turned out better. With with this, it was just, you know, a lot of things didn't work out earlier where we thought we were close, we thought we had a good lead and then something would give way and, you know, the whole thing would crumble. And, and so in the four years that we were trying to finance it, you know, it, it got a bit tough. It like, it got a bit, uh, uh, it, it wore on us for sure. And as Adam will attest, like we didn't have a ton of time left, but to get it greenlit, do you want to hop in on that? No, that, that that's it. Well, yeah, yeah. I was, it was, a, it was a long time knocking on doors for indie film. You know, I've done it a lot and it's so boring. It's exciting for about 10 minutes. You know, I love pitching something I believe in and I wouldn't, I wouldn't pitch anything that I didn't, but um, indie film, it's just like, it's so random. So many of the people you're, you're meeting either don't have money or aren't even in the business. So you're like trying to tell you them your artistic vision and they're coming from, you know, the stock market or I don't know, something else. And, and, um, and just so many dead ends. And I just, I just hate it. So I started to really lose faith. I started to pitch Evan strongly on like, let's, let's pitch it as a show. Let's cut this up. It'll be six episodes, the first season. And at least, at least then I can get us in like 10 rooms with people with money. I don't know if they'll buy it or not, but we can like do some stuff and get mm-hmm. some answers. And Evan doggedly kept the faith. And, um, I couldn't believe just let alone talking to you guys now, I couldn't believe we were on set finally. Like it was yeah. happening. It was reality. It was dream right. come true. Truly. <laughs> Yeah. Well, we'll tell you, we all love this film and we're not saying that because we're talking to you. We, we, we genuinely had such an excitement for it. It was something fresh. It was new. Adam, your performance is brilliant. Um, and I, I won't give away what happens, but your final shot and scene is so perfect. Like is it's like nice? the emotion of that. I mean, can, I would love did, to ask did you, you about that. Did you film spoiler. that? Did you, can you tell us if you filmed that final mm-hmm. shot early or late? No, or? late, late. It was late. weighing on me the whole time. And, um, and uh uh yeah i don't know i guess what can i yeah I yeah I, yeah i know it's hard to give away the details uh, yeah, of it. Yeah, could, yeah, could yeah. we just hold that part and i would love to hear <laughs> sure, that sure sure yeah that's yeah, so great i hope you guys are able to if you ever want to continue stories with the with this character because Please. it's truly fantastic <laughs> i would to, love to see a franchise of it yeah it's up, it's yeah. up to him i'm sure so thank you so much for coming on the thank show you. man we really appreciate it we're going to tell everybody about the movie and, and spread the word as long as we're that's here. awesome yeah we appreciate uh, that it. thanks a lot this is a lot of fun yeah. thanks guys i hope you guys yeah, yeah. are staying safe and congratulations seriously we really mean what we said uh, i can't have... that that feels really good thank you very yeah much. for sure cool. have, have a great day guys take it easy guys see ya. be well guys see ya Thank you very much to Sony for giving us time with Adam Brody and Evan Morgan. Gabe, I want to talk uh, to you first because you just caught up with this movie. Were you surprised? Did we oversell it? Did you did you dig it? Not at all. I was still um, there were still plenty of surprises as far as like exactly what when you talk about a movie having like a mixture of tones. I think there's always a bit of uh, uncertainty of like how it's going to pull that off and how far it's going to go with each given tone. Um, But I also loved it. I, I really dug it. I think it builds. 
I text you guys this last night. I think it builds a really interesting world that feels original, but familiar that like you can kind of, it's not that you feel the hits coming, but Mm -hmm. when they come, they're exciting. Um, I think the characters are great. I think that the Adam Brody character in particular, um, it's one of those premises that's just, it's just enough of a, a turn uh, that it's again, original, but familiar where he's this kid detective grown up um, and kind of dealing with still being technically a kid detective yeah, um, yeah. and not really promoting himself beyond that. Um, so yeah, I'm a big fan and I recommend it to anyone who can see it. So sure. yeah, Gabe, that's the went, thing you can see it. It's in 800 theaters right now. The reason why we're doing a quick review of it is like, yeah. technically it came out last week um, and we don't know the VOD strategy on it. Sony wants it to come to theaters. And so, yeah, yeah if you can get to it, it's definitely something worth checking it's, out. It's a rough, yeah, it's it's like 800 theaters and I believe that's glo- globally. So it's, it's really not a lot. Okay. Um, but even if you wait and you have to wait to VOD, whatever, whatever the case might be, it's, it's worth the purchase Sorry, or the rent. G- no, no. I, I just had a question for Gabe just yeah. out of curiosity. So Gabe, you went to a movie theater to see the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so there was here, some... I wanted to ask you about that. Cause here, here's what I want to ask you because I haven't been to a movie theater in a while. I saw Tenet four times, but I haven't mm-hmm. been back since Tenet. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously movie theaters are, have to be a little bit different from that point because yeah. nothing really big and new has come out really since Tenet. Sure. Um, how was the theater? Like, was it, was it empty? Was like, what was your, was your experience different from Tenet? Um, yeah, I can get that. So, so one, I will mention, um, as we should mention, the reason I went to see it is because the interview, um, had some spoilery sections in it, which we're going <laughs> to, we're going to put up on, uh, the, uh, uh, the YouTube clips page, which Gabe you can, you risked can... his life. To not really get spoiled. <laughs> it's just, you guys sold it so well. I was like, all right, I'll go. I'll mask up and I'll go. Um, it was, it was pretty much the same. It, it seemed like, um, when I went for Tenet, uh, things weren't as, um, finalized in the sense of like official signage, um, and like procedures that felt like they were like thoroughly grooved out. Mm. Um, but when I went this time, I went to the same theater that I went to for Tenet. Um, and they just had more kind of ropes up. They had sort of more clear signage about, um, where to go, what you can do. They had updated the ticketing so that um, if you if you order if you bought your tickets online, you didn't even have to print them off. You didn't have to touch anything. You could just show them your phone. Um, and did the guy hold enough. your phone like he did for me? Because the no, guy took my phone. They had a plexiglass thing. And I, I held it up. Um, <laughs> yeah. I was only. They're still selling concessions, which to me is still a backwards concept, given everything. Mm. But you know, I was just curious. Well, this is one of the things that we were actually discussing on the show, uh, or maybe off the show, was why some of these films are still going to theaters exclusively like there's a film weird right weird thing yeah there's like there's a movie opening this friday called after we collided which we've discussed in the show before my wife my wife lauren is really into the series they're doing a simultaneous theatrical and food and Mm. and on-demand release and to me at this point in time where we are in in the world with the virus and everything that seems very reasonable to me from from a perspective of doing that sure but you have these really weird scattered films that are still only going theatrical. I think the yeah. Kajillionaire went theatrical. Yeah. Uh, this movie, War with Grandpa. Yeah. Why do you think some of these studios didn't do the, the same release as a VOD? I had a theory for some of them. There are some that you look at that um, that sort of feel like they're movies that the studio is trying to like literally throw away, like stuff that right. would just be sitting on a shelf. Or ha- there's a movie coming out this week, I think, that um, Disney acquired in the Fox deal. That's coming out that they released a trailer oh, yeah, yeah, for. Yeah. The they released a trailer. F- yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah, we'll uh, sort of discuss later. But that they released a trailer for last week, and then they're dropping it in theaters. And it's like, well, clearly you're not 
interested. You're just trying to get this. You're just trying to yeah. cross this off. I mean, list. sometimes it's contractual. Sometimes it's exactly. in the contract that you're obligated to give them a theatrical release. And like the Broken Hearts Gallery. Why did yeah. that have to open in theaters? I don't well, know. I mean, I'd be sorry, Sean. I'd be curious. Mm-hmm. I'd be curious to hear from people that are making that decisions if there is a strategy or if it's like Sean saying, if it's just contractual and they can't. The other thing I wanted to throw out there, though, too, is how quickly people have come adjusted to just um, can I stream that? Like mm-hmm. whenever I mention mm-hmm. anything, yeah. they're always like, OK, cool. Can I stream that this weekend? Like people are automatically now trained that whatever new is coming should be available on one of these multiple services that they subscribe to. And it's I hate that this is going to happen. And I'm sure that once we get a big movie that's in theaters, that will be the one that lures everybody back. But the longer that we are at home and the longer that we're getting used to getting first run stuff right in front of us, it's going to be harder to lure back that casual audience that went to two movies a year, three movies a year, you know, that, that I don't know if you're going to get them back. See, I, I disagree because I think the people that went to see two or three movies a year were seeing Marvel movies okay. and I, and Marvel movies aren't going anywhere. Marvel movies are, I think as long as the theater physical structure exists, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that that cash cow is going to keep roll, keep on rolling kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so uh, yes and no. I could see that. And, you know, I don't have a crystal ball, so I can't you think necessarily... they go to Eternals or Shang-Chi or something like that. I think I don't know. I feel like Marvel's gotten to a point where if one, if they put their name on it and two, um, just how many lessons they have in marketing and, and how they have that down. Yeah. I think now you put Marvel on it they and know. you just say that, you know, uh, Doctor Strange is going to show up in it maybe for a scene like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> throw someone in. I think but- I think that's the that's the thing. I I think there's definitely a market that could suffer. And we see a lot of um, a lot of things that you see just like without even any sort of hesitation getting thrown on streaming are comedies. Yeah. And so, mm-hmm. like, I could see comedies having a really hard time getting a true theatrical release, which, in my opinion, is is a great theatrical experience when you're laughing with a group. So I could oh, see yeah. certain genres and things sort of getting hit. Um, but I think that when you talk about people who who don't go that often and maybe they won't never go, maybe that's going to happen. But I think those people were are going to go see the movies that are coming anyway. Yeah. So to Sean's point, I think what what Sean is saying is about our brains are being trained a certain way now, right? We yeah. think we're thinking differently. So I, I had an experience the other day that was kind of an awake an awakening moment for me in a weird way. So over the weekend, um, I interviewed Kevin Costner and Diane Lane for this movie called Let Him Go. Mom um, Pa Kent. Yeah, Mom Pa Kent. <laughs> uh, and so. What the the screener comes to my email. I watch it Saturday morning. I come downstairs to my basement. I do the interviews, and I'm home. And I, and I went back upstairs and looked uh, to Lauren because that would have been a trip to L.A. Yeah. I would have gone to L.A. I would have landed. I would have been there for 19 hours. I would have saw the film, did the interviews the next morning, and then flew home. Yeah. And I, I got to tell you, and I know this is a different situation than someone just going to a movie or just streaming it. But my brain is now trained to think like that. Now I'm looking at films and going, all right, which ones are worth flying out for? Which ones are not? Is that one worth doing? You know, if I can just talk to Kevin Costner on my computer for four minutes. Right. I want I want to be in person with these actors. But to Sean's point about our brains changing, there's a shift, 100 percent a shift. And I think like the it's going to come down to major event films and we're going to have to shorten these windows. That's what we're going to have to do. And I think you're seeing, yeah, was it Amazon who paid 125 for coming to America? 125 million. 
Like that shows me that the streaming services, they're not getting out of this game. You no. know, they're just buying more into it and picking up bigger, bigger projects. And uh, and man, it's going to be fascinating to track over the next couple of months. I want to shift to the next topic because this is a movie that we are extremely fired up for. But I want to ask you guys whether you think they're going to get over the hump to get general audiences excited for. I had the same thought. That's funny. This is David Fincher's film Mank. And again, OK. Right there, I'm sold. It's David yeah. Fincher's film. So mm-hmm. I'm going. Um, then you tell me it's about the making of Citizen Kane. Okay, great. Even more so, I'm in. Um, but it's a black and white Netflix film. And what it reminds me of all of a sudden, because the new trailer for it dropped. And I think it looks fantastic. And I think it's going to be an amazing film. But I'm looking over Gabe's shoulder and I see Alfonso Coran's Roma. <laughs> and I'm thinking about Scorsese's Irishman. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder if this is going to be a movie that's going to be able to break through and appeal to people who aren't quote unquote, you know, film buffs who want to see Gary Oldman playing Herman Mankiewicz. Yeah. Uh, so what are your guys thoughts on, on this? I'll tell you, I, I have the exact answer because I had this happen to me today at work. So generally speaking, so I work where I work for a morning show in, in D.C. And when a big trailer comes out for a film like an Avengers Endgame or an Avengers yeah. movie or even Ma, uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, the movie we're going to be getting to in our show in a little bit because it's Chadwick Boseman's final film performance. When these trailers come out, I have a thing that clicks in my mind and goes, all right, you know what? We got to get that trailer on the air immediately. This is a big deal. Fans are going to be excited about this. We want to yeah. show our viewers the new trailers that have come out because not everybody's in tune with online and Twitter like we are. They don't see the tweets and the movies trailers come out like we do. When Mank came out this morning, it came out within a reasonable time of my morning show. I could have easily cut it and got it on my air. I didn't think it was right. I didn't think it was a movie that my audience or the or, or it, I didn't think it was a film that was going to excite yeah. yeah, local morning television. Right. And I and I thought to myself about that. And that that's the exact question that you're asking, Sean, is that like, is does this movie have a general audience built into it or is it for film nerds? And, I, and I'm not saying general audiences can't be film nerds. No, but sure. that I did make a decision this morning in my mind that I was like, you know what? I don't know if this is if this is do I need to do a segment on Mank? I'll do a segment on this trailer or that trailer. But Mank didn't seem like a movie I wanted to do a, tra- a segment on. But for me. I, I can't wait to see it. I'm excited well, about it. I'll even go one step further. This is what's killing some of these movies to this extent. If David Fincher's Mank was coming to a, your art house theater and you made a night of it to go like, all right, we're going to go check it out. Reviews have been solid. You know, uh, it's David Fincher. Hey, I like his movies. Let's let's get dinner and we're going to go see Mank. And then you're in it. You're in it. You're there. You're going to watch it. But on a streaming service, people put on the first five, ten minutes Mm. And then they're on their phone or something else happens and they turn it off and they never go back to it. How many people did you guys hear from from Roma, you know, who were like, oh, yeah, I watched like 15, 20 minutes of it. I couldn't get into it. It was a very slow, quiet movie, too. Yeah, for sure. And so, yeah, Yeah. I mean, that's a danger for a movie like like this, too. It'll be interesting. I mean, it's 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 on Netflix. So there and everyone's stuck at home. So there's the chance that, you know, it hits. Um, And if I think Fincher has enough of a filmography to excite people, if they're. You know, if it's the general audience that maybe doesn't know exactly what he's done, if they're presented with what he has done in those titles, you know, maybe that works for them. Um, one thing, though, that I think is interesting that I, I, I just don't know that it's going to connect with that audience is it doesn't it's not just that it's a movie about movie making and it's shot in black and white. It's very mm. much 
from what I gathered from the trailer, shot like a movie was shot in the 1930s. Like the way yeah, that the, the edits are working. Sounds like it. Yeah, yeah. The, the way, and, and it's just the trailer. Maybe they make some stuff up, but even the camera movements, um, I think it still works. And I trust Fincher to, you know, still make an entertaining film. I don't think he's ever made a, a film that wasn't entertaining, but I'm curious how much of that will just sort of reduce it down to the very uh, sort of fanatic level film buffs. But It's an interesting thing because like that's where... Because I, 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 I'm an entertainment reporter in the D.C. area and I ha- and, and you have to have these conversations with yourself about what you think is important to you and what you think is important to the audience. Right. And like like Fincher's Mank is like Christmas for me. Right. It's yeah, David just, Fincher. Yeah. It's Citizen Kane. It's Oldman. But there's no <laughs> way I'm not thinking in my mind. Yeah. I don't think general audiences care because Citizen Kane breaks my heart. Citizen Kane came out in 1941. It's 79 years old. Yeah. And and I listen, David Fincher, Fight Club 7, you know, he he's Gone Girl. He's made very big films. I just don't see somebody like on a Saturday night going, I'm going to put on a black and white movie about the making of <laughs> yeah. Citizen Kane. And it's a tough sell, but that's where our jobs become important. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. I feel like the, 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 what we do for a living is, is try to excite people about movies and, and things. So, to be honest with you, I probably should do a segment on Mank because mm. to me, I find it interesting, but I just feel like it's a, it's a hard sell. It is a yeah. very tough sell. What I about think, um, Trial of Chicago 7? Did that did that play at all? I, do, I don't feel no. I don't feel crazy buzz on that. Do yeah. you feel do, no. do you feel the no. buzz on that? I feel no, like that I'm afraid it's because aside. of Netflix. I, I think the streaming mm. giants have a really hard time. Because when something's in a movie theater, you there's a window where you're paying attention to it. You're, yes. you're talking about the box office. You're talking about the reviews. There are stages that keep the film in the conversation. Premieres, and, red carpets, yeah. Yeah. Uh, interviews that go viral or like, you know. I don't like, think that happens with a streaming service movie. I think it drops yeah. and you watch it or you don't and it goes away. But I will say it's interesting. We're, we're kind of anticipating the negative or the the bummer of like, man, people didn't appreciate a, a movie sure. that we're we're all, I guess, assuming is going to be great. Yeah, it has yeah. no reason not to be. We right, can't right. wait to see uh, it. Yeah. yeah, and we're we're kind of focusing on the negative of like, man, not enough people are going to see this, which is probably the case. Is probably what's going to happen. On the flip side of that, to kind of turn it into a positive, they're probably not expecting, you know half a billion people to see this sure and so we can sort of be excited in the fact that we live in a world where david fincher was given enough money to make an art house movie yeah yeah (laughs) and he probably didn't have to make any uh uh you know he didn't have to cut himself short in any yeah Yeah, compromise in any way so like and fincher's been on the ground with netflix for a while i mean the house of cards element i mean he's hunter I, I'm almost certain that Fincher or somebody in Fincher's camp is the one that developed the aspect ratio that you generally see on Netflix. Like oh, there's like funny. a certain aspect that ratio sense. that House of Cards has yeah. that I think was designed specifically for Netflix and at streaming at home. Like but shifting it, between TVs and mobile devices or something. Yeah. I'm sure they did some. Yeah. I just find it fascinating because it's so weird. Like 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 I, this morning when that trailer came out, like I texted you guys immediately because yeah. I was – but you're the only ones I texted him. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I didn't like text, you know, I mean, it, yeah. it, it's one of those weird things where, like, and that's the thing, like, I, I don't want this to come across as like, 
oh, we're snarky movie critics. Yeah, no. General audiences, you know, won't watch this. That's I not hope what we're so. saying. It's it's more of like it's more of we just understand that this is very niche. This is a very specific, mm-hmm. very niche thing that Fincher's playing with here. It doesn't have broad appeal. Right. I just I don't I, I don't know. Is, it's an is, interesting thing. Question for you guys: Is a black and white movie? about movie making that's about making one of the most seminal films yeah. in film history in Hollywood history is this the most Oscar Beatty movie that Netflix has ever produced yeah, <laughs> is yeah, that I really, really just yeah, the goal? feel like, like it yeah that's, that's what I'm saying like the checklist to go down it is so insane that's just what they were going for. they're not right. worried about 200 million people seeing this they're like right. we need academy voters to see this yeah yeah actually Gabe that's actually a brilliant point because you make I mean, a they've movie been like this it. That's actually a really good point because Gabe Gabe might have hit something that I uh, that I think is actually kind of genius because maybe they Thank intended you. this film to not <laughs> yeah maybe they maybe they were like you know what we'll cut our losses it won't get seventy five million households like the old guard did in the first four weeks yeah, yeah. but we'll have that nominated for twelve Oscars for, this yeah, year yeah, yeah. Fincher direct I mean you're right it's it's almost like it's almost like they can flex. Yeah. With a great film like this and cut their losses on it not being a general audience right. film. I, I will right. say though, if they come out the weekend after and they're like, We had two hundred million people watch this, <laughs> I'll yeah. give the I'll give the Jake, but did it? <laughs> but did they really? Well I, I listen, here's the thing. I, I've been on record. I'm not a the biggest Citizen Kane fan. I revisited yeah. it recently. I like the film. I admire it. And we're going to get into Rebecca today because I re, I watched Hitchcock's Rebecca over the weekend, which I think is a better version of Citizen Kane, but I I, I am very interested to see how this plays. It is like you said, the old style, Gabe. It's funny you bring that up because I actually noticed I've been watching a lot of older films recently. The the way audio sounded in older films when people talked, there was almost like a um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a, oh, not like a like a like a sound quality to older voices that had like a crunchy sound to it. Like the way yeah. old audio sounds in movies. It's like a um, I don't know how to explain the word I'm looking for. But there was a set like if you listen to old dialogue like Jimmy Stewart in Rear Window or their dialogue sounds a little like a little crispy with like a little crunch to it. And then it gets cleaner as cinema history goes on. The audio in the Mank trailer sounded like old school audio. I don't know if that was my headphones or if Fincher did that on purpose. But going back to the point about making the film look like a old school film. Those those like really interesting edits, the, like the circle wipes that they were doing with like the cuts in yeah, between. Yeah, yeah. It was very yeah. very old school. I, th- I wonder if he messed with the audio at all. I'm I sure. want to know. It's that. interesting. No you know, it, yeah, I'm sure. And and one thing I had never, um, I've never thought about. Now I want to look up is when we talk a lot about when uh, filming turned digital from like the visual aspect. But I wonder when they stopped recording analog audio and started recording mm-hmm. digital audio because I'm sure that sound comes from that analog process. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Whether it's old old movies with like a phonograph or something versus yeah. you know some um, tape, we got That's interesting. And there's a, there is, a, by the way, a strange irony about watching the Mank trailer, which was shot digitally, and seeing film cameras in there, which is very yeah. interesting yeah. to me because I, I, if, if Fincher was ever going to return to thirty five, this was this is the one I thought he would have returned to it on. But I will say this because because I, I I can admit when I'm wrong, it looks like film. That trailer, yeah. lo- I mean, but you can manipulate, you can add grain and, and black and white really helps you. I think I think black and white really kind of like the look of 35 black and white is 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 just monumental. I mean, yeah. and I think that there's a way if you shoot black and white digitally, you can still kind of try to achieve that look. And I think Fincher Fincher's well versed enough in digital to understand that. This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. 
Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. So, so we got to move, but um, what is Ma Rainey, Kevin? I don't even, I have no clue what oh, this is. Yeah. So this is amazing. So I had the opportunity the other day to visit, to go to a virtual event for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which Ma Rainey, uh, the mother of blues, Viola Davis is playing uh, the character in the film. And this is a it's a true story? Yeah, it's based upon a recording session that happened in 1927 in Chicago. Okay. Um, and Chadwick Boseman's character is uh, Levy, and he plays the trumpet horn, and he is basically at odds with Ma Rainey for the for the day of the recording. They're kind of like he he has his own artistic vision she has her own artistic vision um and based on the scenes that i saw it's directed by a guy named george c wolf um mm. who i'm not too familiar with but the, i saw five scenes it's chadwick's final film performance um and it's one of those weird things where like when you know someone has passed away mm. it's in the back of your mind that they passed away so you have to try and not let that affect the way you feel about the performance like i felt like when i watched ledger in the dark night I forgot he passed away because he became the character. He was no longer Ledger. He was the Joker. In this case, same thing. Like I, what I love about Chadwick Boseman and the idea of the roles he chose before he passed away is he chose important films to do before he died. Mm-hmm. Think about what he did. Five Bloods, Black Panther, um, Ma Rainey. He, he clearly, in my opinion, I don't know this for sure, but he clearly chose projects that were going to be legacy and very important work that people could still chew on years later and remember what messages were there. The electricity of this performance, it's so electric. Um, I have the energy from what I experienced in the trailer and the five scenes. Chadwick loved acting. I mean, Mm -hmm. Viola Davis was talking about this um, in the press conference about, you know, this is he's an artist and that's and he committed everything to it. And you can see it in this in this trailer and in the yeah. footage. And today they announced I saw it on Twitter. I don't know who to credit for this, but I saw it on Twitter. They are going to be putting Viola Davis up for lead and Chavik Bozeman up for lead. I okay. thought Chavik was going to be supporting because it's about Ma Rainey. Yeah, yeah. But the film was more about their them being at odds together. I think Viola Davis, I the transformation, if you look up the real Ma Rainey and look at her performance, I think she's going to win the Oscar this year. I mean, her no performance kidding. is, wow. and again, this is just based on footage I saw. I think Chadwick could win. It's interesting and, and they're putting him yeah. lead because they're going to directly put him up against Delroy then. Delroy, which I, Ooh, I yeah. it's it's weird. I actually, if, if again, I haven't seen the movies. I don't know how leading he is. But if you look at the poster for Ma Rainey, it's, it's Viola and Chadwick. Yeah. Um, it, they're on the poster together. It's their story. Um, but I, 
It's an interesting. Could you, I, yeah. Could you position Delroy in supporting? I just want him to win, whatever it takes. Delroy mm. would be leading I because think that's it has lead. to be. Yeah. It's I bet lead. you. I bet you. Ch- oh, I, I think I know what's going to happen here. Chadwick's going to get nominated for supporting for Five Bloods and then leading for Ma Rainey. You think that's okay. how the Academy will handle it? I think. I, I think. I think Netflix is like again. I don't know for sure. But if I'm Netflix, it'd be interesting you, to see you position because Chadwick's great in Five Bloods. It's a small yeah, role. It's, it's very small role, yeah. but he's great. It, yeah. But, but there's going to be so many performances from Chicago Seven that Netflix is going to back all in supporting. Who's the lead but, in that? Netflix the just shotgun blasted the Oscars this year. <laughs> they yeah. really have. Did we win an Oscar? They're all the nominees of, are ours. So it tired of losing. I like Gabe's thinking on Mank. You you let Fincher make a movie called Mank based on the writing of Citizen Kane because yeah. you know it's going to get Absolutely. Oscars. There's, Absolutely. I don't even think they're worried about viewership now that Gabe said that. I'm like, you know what? Of no. course, it's, 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 it's I think when you make attention. a black and white movie, you, you throw viewership out the door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I think they're going to win an Oscar this year. Finally, they have to, right? Because what else is out there that could beat Netflix for Best Picture? Because you have Chicago Seven's going to be up, Mank will be up, uh, um, Five Bloods will be up. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't. Well, there's a, there's a couple other big movies coming. Still? It did, yeah, it certainly did. Yeah. I saw that Vin, in the theater. Vin Diesel. Um, all right, so uh, look out for both Mank and Ma Rainey's Ma, Ma Rainey's Rainey. Black Bottom. December eighteenth on December Netflix, 18th. Okay. and uh, look at the trailer. I, I, I and again, I understand people might be hesitant and go, "Oh, you're only liking it because because Chadwick passed away and like his performance, yeah. whatever." It's nothing to do with that. The kid is just one yeah. of the greatest actors. So good. I'm excited I, I, to see it. I, I hate hate. And I don't use the word hate often. I hated when people told me that I only liked Ledger because he died. Oh, people that's would crazy. Always, people would yeah. always people say that. that? Oh, Oh, dude, like you, you, uh, you would say like Ledger was phenomenal, the film and people would go, is it, is it because he passed away though? I'm like, no, oh my God, no, no, no. he reinvented oh, a character, a classic people, character. Yeah. People judge people when, when on that stuff. I got, I got questioned on that sometimes. Like when I was reviewing Ledger's uh, performance, they were like, it's, you're only liking because he passed away. I'm like, no, it's the performance it's is phenomenal. brilliant. Yeah. Kevin, yeah, you gave like, me a, tr- a tremendous transition without even oh, knowing oh, that ooh. we're going to now shift to the news that broke right as we were starting to record this episode that Jared Leto is going to be playing the Joker in Zack Snyder's Justice League. Um, I'm happy that, about this, by the way. So it's, it's exciting for this reason. Um, He's coming back to be part of the reshoots, which are happening or additional photography, which is happening right now in Los Angeles. Uh, It connects Zack Snyder's Justice League even closer to David Ayer's uh, Suicide Squad, because that's where Leto's Joker got introduced. If you remember, Leto's Joker is not supposed to be in Justice. He's not in Justice League at all. He didn't show up. He didn't even show up in BVS like he wrote on the Robin suit and you knew that he was responsible for murdering the Robin that Bruce Wayne, that Ben Affleck's Bruce Wayne had. But he doesn't show up. So this is an additional character who's being brought in for more uh, photography, which to me means that they are setting up or teasing additional stories that are going to get told, Um, which to me seems like they're going to be bringing back Ben Affleck to play his Batman in an arc that will include his Joker. Um, if, if there were existing Joker scenes that I thought that Zach needed to complete, then I would understand them bringing in Jared Leto. But the fact that they're literally bringing him in it during COVID, uh, to participate in this additional photography means that he's going to be a significant part and he's going to, uh, probably I would assume help. It's not like a throwaway unless this is the, um, the new, 
uh, mid credits quote unquote scene, you know, that's going to be, it's a four hour uh, television series now at this point, but that this is the new scene that sets up something that might be coming and we might get more Ben Affleck. Uh, that's, I mean, it's all theory at this point now, but it's confirmed that uh, to Hollywood Reporter reported right as we were going on here that we're getting more Jared Leto as uh, as the Joker. Before we move on, sorry, I'm I'm curious, Sean. Yes. In the last hour and a half or so since this broke, how many yeah. tweets have you gotten of uh, so the Snyder Cut never existed? I haven't even looked. <laughs> I, I was so afraid to look at my timeline. Um, so no, so it was never real. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, geez, what people always God. come out and say. Of course, that is. Oh, then you're not really getting the Snyder Cut. Yeah. This well, is a whole new that thing. was my question actually, yeah. Sean, because because <laughs> the whole the whole idea of the Snyder Cut is that we are going to see Snyder's version of yeah. the Justice League film that didn't come yeah. out. It is is adding stuff like that taking away from what the cut would have been? Can I can I answer that for you, Sean? Well, sure, I mean, not for you, but for me. And <laughs> yeah, then if you agree, least. feel free to agree. Sure, sure. I think the notion that Snyder was going to walk into an editing bay, and then <laughs> we would have an we'd have an, an artist in any format go. Now, what would I have done four years ago? Yeah, and then try right. to make decisions that it makes no sense. It was never going to be what we potentially would have gotten. It was always going to be who Zach is now, how he's been affected by the whole thing and his life in mm. general. Like we were always going to get a new interpretation of it, I think because he's an artist and that's what, that's and what also, he goes into. Yeah. And also if, if a company like HBO max comes around and says, Hey, we're willing to give you $80 million <laughs> to add more to it is the idea that he'd be like, no, no, I can't. Thank you very right. much. But <laughs> Integr- I just wanted to add some color grade. Of the 2016 <laughs> cut has to stay in place. Yeah. So of course, if he's given an opportunity to go back and and rework or punch up or or change and reshape, or they could even have had conversations behind the scenes that said like, "Hey, we would like to keep going down the road on this. How do you need to change some of your scenes to bridge towards additional storytelling?" That's what I think is probably happening um, because the the thing that he loves the most about it is how he's free from everything that's happening in the DCEU on the theatrical side. Yeah. So he doesn't have to line up uh, with those films. He doesn't have to tease the next five films on Warner Brothers slate. He can truly control everything that's coming to HBO Max. And as we keep talking about uh, even earlier in this show, these streaming services are getting much more powerful. They're uh, increasing their budgets We're going to talk about The Mandalorian when that show comes back around again. I think you're going to see the production values on the episodes of The Mandalorian go through the roof because Disney Plus now realizes, A, they don't have anything from Star Wars coming anytime soon. So you might as well invest in this right now and keep the brand alive. B, they know that it's a hit show. The people are invested in the characters and they love Baby Yoda and they want to see where it's going. So why not pour money into that now and hit people while they're while they're uh, engaged and sell toys? (laughs) They're going to want to sell so many toys going into the holiday season. So, Sean, I want to say one yeah. thing about uh, about Jared Leto, um, and, and I'm sure this is probably I don't know if this is a controversial opinion. I actually felt bad about what happened to him on Suicide Squad. Uh, I, I, and here's why I say that. I think that he obviously he shot more than what ended up in the film. His, yeah. his, his role was very reduced in Suicide Squad. I think Jared Leto is a phenomenal actor. Mm. I guarantee you he put a lot of work into that character. Um, that movie was destroyed. It was, you know, critically destroyed. It was, you know, we all know what happened with Suicide Squad. I've actually always kind of felt weirdly bad for Leto in that situation. And, and, and I get it. He's a successful actor. He has millions of dollars, you know, he has millions of fans. I'm not saying it from that perspective. I just know that Leto puts the work in and I feel like he did not get to show. I yeah. actually liked his Joker for what it was. 
but it yeah. was a very but 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 the way it was portrayed in the film and how minimal his part was, I think did a disservice to the work he did with Air. That's why I'm actually really excited about this because I think Snyder might be able to give Leto that that element again. Yeah. Like let 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 me let you shine. Let me let me let you show people what you were gonna do because. There were so many things about that character visually and dialogue wise that I found that there could have been so much more with him. And I yeah. think with Snyder, I, I'm actually really I'm actually happy for Leto in this situation. I, I yep. want Leto to be able to basically like retcon what happened because he is hands down the most hated Joker. Right. Oh, yeah. Generally, oh, not people, even close. But it's not his fault. And that's and that's what I was telling Lauren earlier. We were watching um, the new Rebecca film uh, and I, we'll get into the review later. I didn't love it. But like we were saying to ourselves, is it the actor's fault or is it the is it the editing is the directing? And you think about these films, a movie can be made or broken, made or broken in an edit. You can ruin someone's performance in an edit for sure. And I think that's why I think I'm happy for Leto. So, yeah, that's why I I say that. I'm thrilled as well, too. So I can't wait to see what he does with Zach. Um, I want to really touch briefly on two films that we're going to be discussing uh, for weeks to come, because this past weekend I got to get out to um, a film festival. Uh, of all things, which is insanity. Uh, I went to Chapel Hill here in North Carolina and attended the 919 Film Festival. I was able to see two films that are going to be uh, on our radars as we get through the awards season. First one is called Nomadland. Um, it's directed by uh, Chloe Zhao, who is also directing The Eternals, um, Marvel's film. She did a movie called The Rider. Uh, it's Frances McDormand, and she essentially plays a woman who uh, lives in a Nevada town whose entire uh, existence is reliant on an industry and the industry happens to go away. So everybody's sort of struggling to find jobs. What are they going to do? She adapts uh, to the um, nomadic lifestyle, which I didn't realize was uh, something that people do in our country. They, They essentially, she lives in a van, moves around from campsite to campsite, works menial jobs, uh, does work at Amazon actually. And in seasonal time, and was just a fascinating portrayal of um, of this woman and this lifestyle. It uses her co-stars are are all people who are in the nomadic community as well too. Uh, this she doesn't she has like David Strathern uh, plays uh, a romantic interest, but she does have. But most of the people who show up are people who are uh, nomads in real life. So we'll talk about more as that gets um, a release date. The other one is Regina King's movie. One night in Miami, um, which I, can't I wait didn't for this. realize. I'm so excited for this. So I was super ignorant. I didn't know that it was a stage show. It's a play, um, and it plays like a play. Like you realize as you're seeing it, they're contained to multiple, like a couple of different locations, but primarily uh, a hotel room. The night after Muhammad Ali uh, fights. Floyd Lister, Lister, uh, I forget who he fights. Dad, eh, dang it. Anyway, who the kid who plays Muhammad Ali is phenomenal. Um, you have these four predominant African American characters. It's um, uh, Sam Cook and um, Malcolm X, Malcolm X, and uh, Cassius Clay, who's contemplating joining the joining the Nation of Islam, and Jim Brown. Uh, these four influential figures in different realms of our culture, uh, sports realm, the music, uh, uh, the music environment, and the political landscape and religion for Malcolm X. And it's it's like their responsibility to be the voice of their people at that time, and how some of them have torn are torn in different directions some really extremely um, relevant topics that, that really make you stop and think it's the type of movie that I, I can't process because there's, I, I got to see it again. There's, there's a ton of, of 
conversational uh, information being put forward about like how this movie wants you to pick up the threads and keep exploring it. But damn, if Regina King it didn't just, you know, announce her presence as a tremendous storyteller. Um, her casting's great. I, I think it's going to be one of those movies that we're going to be talking about all the way through the award season. So I'm excited for you guys to see it, too. I and, can't wait. And be able to, can't wait. to weigh in. Yeah, it's tremendous. Um, this week in movies, let's jump to a couple of the ones that are uh, opening theatrically and on the streaming services. So The Empty Man is that theatrical movie that Disney Fox is sort of dumping. Um, yeah. It's a Very horror movie. So. It looks just a like horror a movie. It looks pretty, um, it looks okay. Uh, like the trailer, all I saw was the trailer. Um, and it looks like it could be thrilling, but it doesn't look like anything special. No. Um, Kev, I'm with you on Rebecca. I thought it was really pretty to look at, but it didn't hook me in the least bit. Yeah, I mean, for me, I, so I rewatched Hitchcock's 1940 film over the weekend, which is, by the way, it's 80 years old and it's a masterpiece. It's still, <laughs> it, he won it, best it picture. is. It's just so good. I mean, yeah. it, it's it's intense. Lawrence Olivier is amazing. Joan Fontaine's amazing. It, it is it is such a great film. Um, also, one thing I love about Hitchcock's movie is the aspect ratio. It's a bit taller. So, you know, the the look of that film, the views of that film, the 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 house that they're in, the mansion that they're in. It, it, I like and the taller light. aspect ratio. Right. And in the new Rebecca, it's more widescreen. And I'm like watching it last night. I'm like, they could have opened this up. Like there's these gorgeous hallway scenes where Lily James is walking down the hallway. I'm like, this would have been a great in like a one six, six or like a, you know, even a four by three, whatever it would have been. It needed a taller frame. Uh, in my I personal called it opinion. architecture porn. Like there's really yeah. beautiful s- shots and sequences. And, and even yeah. when they're in uh, Monte Carlo early on, like the location shooting is beautiful. It's yeah. gorgeous to look at. I think it's really gorgeous to look at, but it's just, it's, it's just hollow. Well, here, here's the thing about, so the original Hitchcock film, um, is the story wise, character wise is much more intense. It's very, it's, it's a lot more, uh, in my opinion, on the vague side, this particular film feels cold. It feels melodramatic. Mm. I don't think army hammer was right. I I think they had, should have hired a British actor because the Mm. accent was throwing me. Uh, I I think army hammer is a great actor. Don't get me wrong. And I do think that people can play with accents and I have no problem with people doing that. But army hammer, I didn't think was the right fit for this role. I didn't Mm -hmm. find his, his, his English accent accent to be believable i kept hearing army hammer trying to do a british accent mm. um and i think lily james is, is wonderful i love her she's she's great with what she has to you know in this film um i you know so this is directed by a guy named ben wheatley who did free fire and you yeah. know it's mm-hmm. it's 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 a hard thing to do to uh, you know to take on a project like this i mean you're not remaking your because it's not really a remake it's based on the book technically based speaking book. Yeah. but but it's still it's still a very big undertaking, especially when you have Hitchcock directing it in, in 1940. Mm. Um, and to be honest with you, I think Hitchcock's film looks better. It sounds better. It, it flows better. It's paced better. And it's mm. 80 years old. And I think the, the what I learned about it is that timeless film, timeless, you know, the idea of timeless nature in film is so such a powerful tool. I mean, Rebecca still plays beautifully 80 years later. I did not think this film needed to be made. It was unnecessary. I didn't find it to be uh, engaging. It was very melodramatic, personally. Did either of you guys see The Witches? No, nope. I have it, but I, I, I'm, I'm going to watch it tomorrow night, I think. All right. I'll give everybody a quick spoiler-free uh, reaction to it. I expected to not like this film, um, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, so I'm pleasantly surprised at how well it plays. It's Robert Zemeckis. Um, it looked like sometimes when Zemeckis does like a kid movie, like Polar Express or some such, 
that he just goes too far into the corny artificialness of it. Um, I do not know the uh, original, the, the one I that has I watched the a, original. Did you really? Yeah, a couple so, days ago on Netflix. What year is that from? Like 90s? 1990. It's 30 years old. Dude, the special effects makeup in the original Witches is some of the coolest animatronic visual effects I have ever seen. Like my okay. wife, Lauren, put it on because we're anticipating the new Witches. Yeah. And I was like... She's like, Kevin, trust me, you got to watch this. You're going to love like it's like it's almost like 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 Tom Savini level, like visual, like like, like old school, like makeup effects and like, Nicotero kind of stuff. Right. You might dig this then. You might dig the Frightening. new one. Angelica Houston is so great. So let me ask you this. There's a very famous scene in the in, in, the, in the original Witches that I'm interested to know if they do it in the new one yeah. um, where they're in this like conference room with a bunch of women yeah. and Angelica Houston takes the stage and then reveals yeah. herself yeah. as the witch. Do they yes. do that in the new one? So they, they Anne do. Hathaway? Okay, yeah, cool. I thought that do. scene was wonderful and yes, I can't wait to see I'm excited about Anne Hathaway doing it. I'm so, honest with you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, there's no surprise on this show. I, I am not a fan, not a huge fan <laughs> of Anne Hathaway and she was amazing in this. Uh, totally won me over. I'm I mean, excited. Hey, breaking news, Anne Hathaway's got talent, right? <laughs> she, she can actually act. She's awesome. Um, so yeah, I dug it. And um it gets a it gets a little bit goofy. There's a there's a, a moment in the film, and again, I haven't seen the original, so does this happen? The kids get turned into mice, Kev. Does that happen in the, in the movie? I was just about to bring I, I literally was about to ask you if the mice were in the film. Yeah, so yeah. In, in, in the original film, they do the mice with animatronics. It's okay. really cool. Like they have they had real mice that were for like the long shots. Yeah. But then when they actually cause the mice talk, do they talk in the new one? They do talk in the new one, yeah. So it, they they actually built these animatronic mice or mouses, whatever you want to call them. Um, nice. And like you're watching them animatronically interact with each other. Do they go yeah. CG in this one? They go CG. Yeah, <laughs> See, that's the problem. See, they I'm telling CG. you, like I was blown yeah. away by the practical effects in 1990. I, I hadn't I didn't ever even heard of the witches before until this new one was coming out. And I, I was it's on Netflix. Anybody listening to our show, if you want to watch the original witches, it's surprisingly awesome. Like, wow. I was shocked how crazy. It's scary. And this one's coming to HBO Max. It'll be there on October 23rd. Um, Over the Moon is an animated film that Netflix is plugging heavily. Um, either of you guys seen it? Mm. I haven't seen it I'm yet. We did, we did, I didn't do interviews. We did interviews um, for Cinema Blend that I cut. And it sounds super interesting. It sounds like yeah. a fun, uh, fun kids movie. And Philippe nice. Sue from, um, yeah. from yeah. Uh, Hamilton. Hamilton. Yeah. All right, so let's get into... <laughs> Borat subsequent <laughs> subsequent movie film Jeez. coming to Amazon Prime on October 23rd. Um, I'll, I'll kick off the conversation by saying that this movie is pure insanity. Um, <laughs> I haven't are, seen it yet, so this is exciting. Yeah, and, and we're not going to spoil we get we're not yeah, going to yeah, spoil yeah. Um, anything. We want you to be able to listen to this show and still be able to go check out the movie on Friday. Um, it's not like there's a plot, but there's obviously with him. Uh, he he works his way into situations uh, using and especially in this one too, and I love the way that they address in this one that the Borat character is so recognizable that the minute he arrives in America, yep. he just gets inundated by people who want um, autographs from him or want to take pictures with him. So he has to. It's weird. Sasha Baron Cohen, who is dis disguised as Borat, <laughs> has to disguise Borat, and and the the ways that he dis disguises himself throughout the movie get funnier and funnier. Um, yeah. but the, the true, so I ended up giving this movie four out of five Kev, because I just thought that the structure of it is still incredibly loose. It's just a series of, for the most part, uh, 
outrageous situations that he can get himself into in order to expose the ignorance of of people of Americans, essentially. Um, and it <laughs> broke my heart that like halfway through, I went uh, to the IMDb page to check and see where they filmed it. And it's Greenville, Spartanburg, South Carolina, <laughs> about 90 minutes away from Charlotte, North Carolina. And my people do not. They do not look good in this movie, <laughs> not in one way, shape or form. But the the true selling point, I, A, I just think Borat as a character is still incredibly funny. Um, it's as insensitive a movie as you can imagine right now. Like the humor is it's offensive to everybody, like the, every group that you think is going to get mad by uh, this movie is going to get mad. But the character that they introduce um, is his daughter and her name. She's played by uh, an actress named Maria Bot- Botolova. Is that right? Is Maria it Bakalov? Bo- oh. Yeah, I'll double check it. Okay, double yeah. check it. She is She's phenomenal. New, so. yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. She is unbelievably great. Um, she does Sasha Baron Cohen as well as Sasha Baron Cohen does. Um, and she has to be as quick as he is. She gets thrown into situations where she has to improvise in front of people, and she's just fantastic. Um, so I think this movie is incredibly funny. Uh, I would absolutely recommend it. I think the shock value of the Borat uh, concept has worn just a little bit, but Sasha Baron Cohen figures out a way to get over that really quickly. Um, and it just goes to show that there's still plenty of things to poke fun of. Uh, the first one came out in 2006. So you're talking, you know, all these years later, and there are reasons that he is trying to get this movie out uh, ahead of the election. There are political uh, points trying to be made. There's social points trying to be made. And um, but more importantly, more than anything else, it is one of the most laugh out loud funny movies that I've seen in a really long time. And I some a lot of my laughter was was triggered by just being completely shocked by yeah. what I was watching play out because I could not believe that he was able to pull off some of the things he pulled off in this movie. I think what I loved about it was the emotion. Hmm. I, I actually think that there's a good through line and a good story here. Um, you know, the basic premise of the film, it's a joke, but he, you know, the character of Borat is trying to deliver his daughter, his 15 year old daughter to Mike Pence. Like that, that, that's the, that's the concept of the story. And that's in the trailer. We know that mm-hmm. um, as a gift, essentially it's in the that, original that's... title of the film as well. Right. So <laughs> very long um, title, but in, 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 re- What's crazy about the Borat movie is, from what I understand, I mean, obviously you have the two actors who are playing Borat and the daughter, Sasha Baron Cohen, and the, and this new actress who's absolutely is the, is the character's name phenomenal. The, I mean, she is incredible. Um, so what I love about this film is that at the end of the day, it is insanely shocking, but I felt emotionally invested in their arc. And I know it's a, I, I understand that it's going for shock value, but there's something really sweet uh, about some of these scenes that the daughter has with the people that she runs into. And I won't go into too many details, but there's a specific woman that the daughter has a, a lot of scenes with that I thought were so powerful oh and said, but they, but, but they said so much. I mean, she was amazing. <laughs> she was amazing. Oh and I, I think what's interesting about this film is he lets he lets the people they run into tell the story of our country. Yes, that, that's, 100%. That, that, the movie basically is a is a reflection of how divided our country is. I know you're laughing. Um, but <laughs> I love that it, Kevin is having this very like no, serious. Kevin and, is right. <laughs> Kevin but, is right. And Sean's just weird. laughing at some like lewd joke that was made. <laughs> but that, but <laughs> or that's whatever what's is weird. funny. 
But that's what's weird is that like I am with Sean on the shock and the humor. I was yeah. I, there. There was a scene in this film that I think is genuinely. I agree with Seth Rogen. One of the funniest things I have ever seen in a movie. Yeah. I was on a couch last night with my, with Lauren. I have never <laughs> seen Lauren laugh that hard. I almost fell off the couch. I yeah. couldn't breathe. Um, and all I will say is the word dance. That's all I'm going to say. Um, but there are, that's what makes this movie brilliant for me is you go from shock to real, to shock yeah. to real. And you're, you're dealing with real social political issues while making fun of it, but also exposing our country. And it's a very, very, it's kind of a brilliant way they do it um taking the shock away from it i feel like that's the thing about comedy sometimes is you go into a comedy and, and uh, people don't want to take it seriously people don't want to take the messages seriously they just want to like laugh but i think if you ask sasha baron cohen his intentions for this film it would be exactly what i'm saying right now it would it would be that he wanted to show our country get a message out there um and you do that through comedy because comedy makes us laugh it creates a reaction in us um, but at the same time, their performance, as you were saying, Sean, like she's so brilliant. I think she's as good, if not better than Sasha Baron Cohen in the yeah. film. Like she is brilliant. This actress, I've never seen her before. She's phenomenal. Um, and I know I Sean's laughing. I keep remembering scenes. I keep remembering I scenes of but her and how good she is. She's oh phenomenal. My God. Um, but one thing I will say is, you know, <laughs> there, you know, the editing is there's a lot going on. But I want to see the movie about the making of this film, yeah. um, because we were discussing this earlier about how they're able to get these shots. And Sean brought up an interesting point about how Borat has to disguise himself, because if you think about it, when Borat goes into a situation in, two, in 2020, it's different than going into a situation when you were in 2006, because yeah. not a lot of people might have known who Borat was before the Borat movie came out, unless you watched the, you know, the Ali G show and things like that. But Borat wasn't as, I don't think, before the first Borat movie, as Certainly recognizable not. or as famous yeah. as no. he is now. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. He, so he clearly can't go into situations as Borat. So they write that part in, Sean, brilliantly, because they basically give him the excuse to not be Borat, to show up at scenes that people wouldn't recognize him for. Right, right, right. And from what I understand, and this is just what I've gathered from reading things about these films over the years, from what I understand, what they do is the reason they're able to get people on camera with these scenes is because they're signing documents that essentially say something along the lines of we're filming a documentary about a guy coming from a different country who's trying to integrate into our in our culture and mm. we want to capture it on film. That's kind of what. I gather how they do it. If you watch the movie closely, you'll see blurred faces. Mm, like yes, you'll see faces yeah. that are blurred. And the reason those are blurred is because they didn't get the right to actually put them in the film. So sure. yeah. people are signing documents and like, these are not actors. These are people like there's a guy, he, <laughs> the guy in the fax store, um, <laughs> like they're like, he's with real people. And like, that's what makes the movie brilliant is you're okay, getting these but genuine ask a question, reactions. Like, Cause yeah. there's one or two scenes that pop up and, uh, without giving anything away that seem, there's no way that he could have done it. Like for one, the country, the country band that plays behind him. Um, I'll tell you how they did that. So I had well, questions about that too. Yeah. All so, right, so let, we'll talk about it offline. Let's talk okay. about it offline. I was going to say, is this interesting way. to anybody? No, no, no. no. Seen I, can yeah, keep yeah. Super, I can keep this super vague. All, all Sean's referring to is like a moment where Borat takes a stage at an actual event yes. and performs. And the question Sean is asking is how could they have possibly let that happen? Yeah. Lauren and I had the exact same discussion last night over text, or, or, right? When we were watching the movie. 
Here's how I think he did that. And I'll, and I'll keep this super vague. I think he genuinely signed up for that show as that character got chosen to be a part of the show. Mm. And because you think about it, this takes planning, planning, oh, it takes so, much, so planning. much planning. Yes. So if you, if you so in order for a character Borat is playing to get on stage at a concert to play as part of a festival, wherever he was, the work that goes into that scene, in my opinion, would be him literally signing up, getting approved, yeah. getting there and doing that moment. I so you're saying that you think that that was staged. I I that's how it I think he did stage because he turns around and talks to the the musicians and then they have to play a song that he needs him to play. And so uh, you'll see as you guys are watching. They're not it, actors. But, yeah, they're not pay attention dude. to pay attention to all of those things. But either but way, that's what makes it exciting. We both highly recommend it. It's so really, good. really funny. Kevin puts it in his top 10 for the year. Um, it's so because I, I think it's a I think it's a brilliant film that we need right now. And yeah. listen, I understand politically people are very divided in this country. And I completely understand that you you may look at this film as a Trump bashing movie. Um, I think it's it's bigger than that. I think it's oh, a film yeah. that genuinely exposes like there are there are two specific people that I think are on opposing sides of our country in regards to politics that are part of this story that they run into without in the story that are like that show our country. That yeah. is our country. And it's like, it's, it's kind of amazing what he pulls off in this movie. And I, 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 I tip my hat to him. This is probably a silly question, but I wonder if people are thinking this um, before we move on. If someone hasn't seen the original, do they need to see it to oh, understand no. anything about Borat or is it just... No, no, no. They, they, they do a pretty decent setup. Yeah, they do a pretty decent setup too. I figured. I figured. More like so than you would even him. expect. <laughs> they show him at the premiere. They actually they actually show yeah. footage of the real Borat premiere. Yeah. Because when, when Sasha Baron Cohen does press for these movies, he does them in character. Yeah. Like I interviewed him for Bruno and I had to like... And you had to do it in character. Um, and he's just, he's outstanding. Oh, he's yeah. great. Okay, let's get to this week's blend game, um, which is hashtag sci-fi horror blend. Um, Gabe, why don't you kick us off? Because you don't get to sure. play the blend game that often. Yeah, you guys know that I don't I don't love picking these because uh, I'm bad at favorites. Right, right. But this one was, I think for me, was was pretty easy because I think there's, an, there's a film that is a fantastic film and is a perfect example of the genre at the, all at the same time. Uh, that I happen to love. And so my favorite sci-fi horror blend film would have to be uh, Alien, the first the first Alien. Okay. I think it's I think it's uh, uh, undoubtedly sci-fi in its setting and its characters and and even the plot and what's going on. It's very much a sci-fi film, but it uses raw and pure horror techniques uh, with both the monster and kind of the uh, everything that Ripley runs into. I fell in love with Alien when I was a little kid. Uh, as a little kid who loved horror movies, um, and to this day it still holds up. So, controversial for me, that was pick. the only choice. Great, great, great choice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Going out on a limb, uh, Kevin. Where are you at? Sci-fi uh, horror blend. I'm going to go a little more modern. Um, and, and while I understand uh, the appeal he's gonna go to go, he's gonna go Borat too. Yeah, I'm going to go Borat <laughs> too. Um, no, I went with the Cabin in the Woods. Oh, nice. Um, oh, yeah, that's great. Tremendous. I, and, and Sigourney Weaver. There's our through line. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, when my, when Lauren and I saw Cabin in the Woods for the first time, it felt like the first time I saw Scream. And I'm not saying Scream's a sci-fi horror film, but it, I mean it in the sense of like it changed. In my opinion, it changed the genre. It, mm -hmm. it was it was it moved the genre forward. It, it created a, a different way to look at the genre. And Cabin in the Woods is a film that sat on the shelf for three 
or so years. You know, yeah. Drew Goddard um, uh, directed it. Uh, Whedon wrote it, I believe. Yeah, they were. Yeah. Um, and so it was. And it was Chris such Hemsworth a, in it, for God's sakes. Right. And so <laughs> this comes out Technically yeah. pre-Thor, Chris Hemsworth. You're, yeah. you're yeah. right, and it came, but it came out in the middle of the MCU, which is yeah. kind of weird, yeah. right? So, so Hemsworth in this film, I mean, the sci-fi element is undeniable. I, I won't, I, I'm not going to spoil anything, but there is a reveal in this movie that brings the sci-fi element into it, and all I will say is the elevator scene um, as oh. they're riding the elevator <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, is truly one of the most insane sequences I've ever seen in a film. Like when they do you guys remember the edit in the movie? Remember the edit in the film when they're in the hallway of the elevator lobby and it dings and they yes. all come out? Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. Just insanity. So the cool thing about the the <laughs> I also love that the stoner in that movie is the smart one. Like that was kind of yeah. like they, they, they played with, uh, with stereotypes and, and yeah. different so. things in a really fun way. Um, but Hemsworth is great in it. If people aren't familiar with it, uh, imagine it like an evil dead movie, but with like a sci-fi spin specifically, um, they go out to a cabin in the woods, literally, and <laughs> things start happening in the cabin that are strange. People start dying. And then we learn through the yeah, film. Don't, just stop there. Stop I there. won't say anything, but stop I want to say this, Richard Jenkins, is so good in this movie. Um, <laughs> everybody, the cast is who uh, who plays Bradley Jenkins Whitford. Son, Whitford. Bradley Whitford. The, the, Jenkins and Whitford have some of the best banter. <laughs> like there, this movie is so good. I know not, it's, it's kind of underrated. It didn't make a ton of money, but if you haven't seen it, seek it out. It is genuinely one of the most pleasantly surprising, awesome sci-fi oh, yeah. horror films ever. I was gonna go with the thing, but and I love the thing. But I just feel like Cabin in the Woods had such a massive impression on me, and I love that movie. So, And I'll add, Cabin in the Woods is one of those horror movies, special horror movies, where if I have friends or people that like don't really watch horror, don't really like horror, or they're worried about jump scares or whatever, yeah, it's one of those that is so elevated uh, in a unique way, that, and so entertaining in a unique way, that I recommend it to those people. I'm like, you'll still, you'll still love this. It's a good point, because like, it, 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 while it is a graphically disgusting film at times, it sure. always feels fun oh, yeah <laughs> it's not it's not like yeah it's you're not always like, taking the the trope or the cliche yes. and and doing it on purpose as the joke kind of thing yeah so. and, it's, and it's and it's not to the point where it's self-aware where it's like a spoof it's a genuine horror film yeah they just they just pl- they they teeter that line perfectly it, it, it doesn't become a joke it just has a very fun now, don't get me wrong. There are some death scenes that are disgusting. Like, like there are some brutal stuff in this film. So oh, it does dude. get violent. I mean, don't watch it with your kids. Have you obviously. watched Freaky yet? Did you see Freaky? No, yet? I want to see Freaky. I haven't seen it yet with Vince I Vaughn. I saw Freaky this week, and that movie. When we get to talk about that movie, the death scenes in it are oh, are they off freaky? The charts. Can't they wait. are off too the charts. Easy. I'm yeah. excited. We'll talk about it. All right, All right. Sean. What you? I'm curious to hear yours. Yeah, because um, I made that Night of the Creeps pick the other uh week and, and someone sent you a dvd today yes i've gotten really good reactions from people who are liking the older picks i went and sought out a 1986 film called chopping mall have you chopping guys heard of mall. chopping mall <laughs> no. that's um, the greatest title i've ever heard how have i not seen this it's tremendous chopping mall? <laughs> it's chopping mall and it's literally um these employees it's like mall rats but a horror movie um, sounds great these uh, kids who work at kids like 20 something kids who work at a, a, a mall, a shopping mall, who stay after hours um, and lock all their stores down. And they decide they're going to have a party uh, in their uh, st- in the, the showrooms or behind the scenes of their their stores. 
they get pizza, they get booze, they start hooking up. And the um, robot security system in the uh, mall malfunctions and goes on a killing spree. And it's literally <laughs> just the chopping mall. And it's it's tremendous. Oh, I'm I mean, sold. it's it's incredibly cheesy. I'm buying um, it right now. But <laughs> that's, that's the best title I've ever heard in my yeah, entire it's great, life. It's great. It's brilliant. Um, and again, it's it's uh, technology going haywire. Uh, it's got all the great 80s things that you love about it and the fact that it's really overstated. And um, the kills are incredibly gory. And so, uh, you know, is it my favorite? No, I love it. I think it's tremendous, but I kind of wanted to call it out just to uh, no. put it I on like people's that. radars. So. Hey guys, sorry I can't be with you this week. I am uh, doing a little journey here out in the middle of the woods, as you can see. Uh, but I did want to weigh in with my pick for sci-fi horror blend. And uh, it's a boring, unsexy choice, but the obvious choice, of course, is Alien. Not only is it one of the greatest films of all time, it obviously ranks among the greatest sci-fi films of all time. And yes, it is absolutely terrifying. It's basically Jaws in space. But like the shark was in Jaws, the xenomorph is just this perfectly manicured monster within the confines of space. You have a creature with acid blood, so if you attempt to shoot him or stab him, you risk killing yourself because the acid could eat through the hull of the ship and uh, open up a portal into space, and then you're all dead. So the design, the H.R. Geiger designs of the Xenomorph were absolutely gorgeous. Uh, the creation of Ripley, Sigourney Weaver's uh, character, one of the greatest characters in the history of cinema, not just within the action or the horror or the sci-fi uh, genre, but uh, just the genre period. And uh, it's just, it's a beautiful film. Obviously, James Cameron took it into a much more uh, action kind of thriller, which I think is what raises the question of whether or not Alien fits. But the very first Alien uh, is absolutely a horror film. It's absolutely one of the greatest horror films of all time. And yes, obviously it fits within the sci-fi realm because you have, uh, you know, the alien element, the space element. But uh, hope it's not too boring of a pick. I have a feeling I may not be the only one to have picked this. Um, maybe you guys branched out a little bit more, but uh, it's, it's, it's how I feel. It's how Daenerys feels. She feels that way too. And uh, hope you guys have a good show. Talk to you next week. This is a stupid question. Is yeah. are zombies sci-fi? No, I it, don't de think it so. depends on the. Um, there are different kinds of zombies. Some of them are like resurrected for like you know uh, uh, paranormal reasons or mm -hmm. like demonic reasons. But some of them are like I would say a twenty-eight days later or like a uh, uh, Resident Evil. It's because of like a science experiment. So like interesting. Technically, it's science. I think it depends yeah. on the origin story. I wonder. I wonder why. Yeah, I've actually never thought about it before because I think to myself. I mean, I guess zombies, technically it is because they don't exist. But wait, let's, I want to throw this one at you, Craig D. Going to audience picks, he picked T two. I don't consider T two to be a horror movie. It's it's funny because then we go back to the age old debate that Jake and I had about T one thousand being a monster. Yeah. Um, is T one uh, more of a horror movie than T two? Yes, I think so. Right. T that's was my that was my issue with it. Yeah, T one is the alien, and T two yeah. is aliens. Yes. Yeah. That's what's funny about Jim Cameron. it again. I want to give my 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 producer Chris credit for this. Uh, um, this morning we were doing a story about like technology and like the horrors of things, and he put on Brad Fidel's T two score underneath the segment okay. as oh, wow. the story was being told. And I literally messaged him uh, um, on our little chat function. I said, "Dude, this is like genuinely a horror segment. It sounds like a horror like like because." 
Because if you think about that music, I mean, T2 is pretty terrifying. I, I will argue. It's certainly thrilling. I wouldn't argue sci-fi horror, but I will tell you that it has one of the most horrific scenes I've ever seen in a movie. And that's and that's Linda Hamilton's fence shot as she just disintegrates into nothing. Mm -hmm. And like that. And I don't know. And this kind of goes into that age old debate of what's horror, what's sci fi. Um, Right. Like just because a movie uses like in one or two places uses like a horror, uh, you know, trope or tactic in its filmmaking. Does that make it? I mean, the T-1000 is supposed to be scary, you know, it's supposed to be a terrifying, relentless thing. But I do. I feel it's more sci fi, a stronger sci fi vibe. Right. Yeah. I I guess. All right. So what are some other sci fi horror picks that we we, that we would. Oh, yeah. Okay. so Rachel, Rachel K.H. chose Danny Boyle's Sunshine. Uh, Brody Cottenham, Adam Kahn and many others went with Alien. Johnny Cat, Cardi Dante and many others went with John Carpenter's The Thing. Vanessa D. said that her underrated choices are Mimic. And Scanner, but the Mimic's obvious choice great. is Alien. Yeah. And then uh, Damien McDonald chose Cube, and I don't know Cube. Cube is a, uh, a fascinating choice. I was glad someone picked that. It's a really interesting movie. I used to watch it a ton when I was a kid. Um, it's about these people that wake up in a cube. Like, people wake up in this room, and then they find out that there's more people in rooms that they're joined with. Um, they have no idea why they're there. Uh, and they're trying to figure out how to get out and very I saw that it's called love is blind it's on Netflix (laughs) very horrifying (laughs) things begin to happen as they try to traverse the cube all right so wait uh, okay okay so thank you very much for your audience participations next week we're playing hashtag Halloween movie blend all right explain that Um, is that what we've been doing well so so this will be a film that either very heavily features a set piece I will let people stretch to like a set piece like a heavily featured Halloween set piece, but I would love for people to give us their favorite Halloween movie that uh, involves. Can we take Carpenter's franchise off the board? Um, I think we should. I think that should be automatic. That feels too obvious, doesn't it? As your favorite? Yeah. I feel like Halloween. If if listeners, if listeners want to submit it, absolutely. We want to know as a challenge to ourselves. We will take Carpenter's franchise off the board to clarify the rules. Does the movie have to actually take, have a Halloween day in the movie does it like can it be can it be like themed in an october thing does it have to be on halloween i like the october theme i like the idea of the holiday of halloween okay. being involved and that okay, and that okay. stretches beyond you know horror movies which i think is fun kevin you can does pick pu- you can pick puby that's fine <laughs> you can pick puby <laughs> it's fine Wait, so like okay on, on a serious question like does it follows count uh does is there is there a halloween scene in that isn't that in the fall, it's like it's very Carpenter esque. Like, like I, that's no, where I'm that's trying to. That's too. That's too October. Yeah, that's right, like that's like right. we would celebrate. We that's a festive okay. movie. Yeah, for, for I think the it's got to be tangentially attached to the Halloween. Give some exa- Gabe, Give some examples. Give some examples. Uh, Trick well, okay, or treat. We, Trick or treat. Um, the anthology. What's the? There's a bunch of Disney movies that take place at Halloween. Focus. 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 Oh, Focus. Nightmare Focus. Before Christmas. Technically, Christmas. has a very strong okay. Halloween theme to it. But see, we get away from the... We've been stuck in horror. I'm sure there's people that okay. listen that, that don't necessarily love horror, so we can kind of play around. I think we can, uh, I think we can get creative with this. All right, fun. so like play it. along using hashtag Halloween movie blend, and the hosts uh, in particular are not going to uh, use John Carpenter's movies. Um, you can send your picks to realblend at cinemablend.com, and that's where you can also send reviews, and this week's comes from... The real Marv from the UK. So Marv is a really great dude, and he actually has put together a podcast 
whose name I'm blanking on, but his it's a podcast about other podcasts. And um, I was on it. Uh, he featured me on it uh, recently, and he, we talked all about Real Blend. And he wanted to get insight into how we put the episodes together and how we choose what topics we want to get into and how we get our guests and how we all got to know each other. And he was a, a terrific interview. And so uh, this is a review from him. He says, to say that Real Blend is a podcast about film is as big an understatement as to say that someone like Steven Spielberg, Clint Eastwood, or Martin, or Martin Scorsese have made... what? Hold, hold on. Let me... How did I butcher <laughs> that name so bad? To say that someone like Steven Spielberg, Clint Eastwood, or Martin Scorsese. That's what is putting the word or. But putting or before Martin Scorsese. Yeah, sure. Have made some films. With this show, you've got three great presenters who bounce off of each other wonderfully, providing their own individual stories and opinions about films in a constructive and straightforward way. These guys love films, and by that I mean that they love the whole experience of film. Their excitement is such that they make films interesting to you. And you may be otherwise uh, that you may otherwise have missed, which is a great which is great in a world dominated by blockbusters. I continually recommend this show to everyone that I know, and I will continue to. On a personal note, I've actually talked with Sean, who was as warm as he is on the show. His love of film was obvious and real, and that's why you that's what you see in this show. I was lost for words when they said how grateful he was of myself and other blenders for constantly listening and pushing the show. This is essential listening for anyone interested in any aspect of film, but that's super important. Like the community behind this film is uh, behind this podcast is what we, that's what we strive for each and every week. And we want to keep growing the blender community. And like Kevin said, when we, you know, if I talk about a stupid movie like night of the creeps and then somebody holds up the DVD on social media and says, Oh, I have to buy this now. That's tremendous. Like we're, we're spreading the love to, yeah. to one additional person. And then every once in a while we get to talk to people like uh, like Adam Brody or Aaron Sorkin or something ridiculous like that. So um, we're going to get to uh, wrapping this up and we're going to go record our premium episode to let you guys know the uh, subject for the next premium episode is a horror movie that you never want to watch uh, again. Something that you endured that turned you off so drastically. Uh, we have some personal stories about about horror that we don't want to see. Uh, we'll be back at it next week for uh, the tr- the full Real Blend experience. In the meantime, follow us on social media at Jake's Takes, at Kevin McCarthy TV, and at Sean underscore O'Connell. Uh, or, of course, the Real Blend uh, Twitter account, which is just Real Blend, uh, at Real Blend. And Gabe, Gabe, what are you, where are you, what are you again? Uh, at Gabe Kovach. At Gabe Kovach. It'll be, so. if you're on YouTube, it's right here. There you go. See, there you go. So um, we'll be back next week. Thanks, everybody, for watching. um, And we'll see you next week when we talk more about uh, David Fincher. So I guess we should end with Hubie. Eh, That's a new one. No? You guys don't like the Hubie? I like it. I like it. Uh, Hubie. Hubie. (laughs) Hubie. I don't know why that makes me laugh.